the WhatsApp contacts we made are available. Are we clear on that? Some of these questions may not necessarily be useful to you as I begin to explain them, but you should still pay attention so that you'll be able to give logical, reasonable answers if someone else asks you. Many Christians do not know how to um, answer a question. They just use wuru to the answer. And they just say things like, just believe, just believe, just have faith. But the Bible tells us that we should be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us concerning our faith. We should be apt to teach. Apt to teach there means that you understand the skill of giving answers. So you may say, I'm not the one to ask this question. It's not my business. No. Try and listen. Pay attention. You might actually get answer for a friend, for a neighbor, for a sibling, and perhaps for yourself in the nearest future. Some of these questions may not be useful to you now, but in 10 years' time, they may be useful to you. So please pay attention. So I will begin with the questions I have here already, like I mentioned. I don't know if there will be other ones. Mr. Sam, if there are other ones, kindly forward them to me. Okay. So we'll start from this one. We have about three or four questions here. The first one begins by saying, How does our thought interact with the spirit realm? How does our thoughts interact with the spirit realm? Let me answer this question by establishing that the thoughts of man is from a part of man called the soul of man or the mind of man. The soul and the mind is where you think from. We can say that man is um, trinity in a sense. Man is body, soul, spirit, or if you subscribe to a slightly different theology, you can say man is a spirit, has a soul, lives in a body. I've explained this concept in my teaching series of the spiritual man. Alright, but basically we agree that there is a spirit, there is a soul, and there is a body. And the soul is where thoughts, imagination erupts from. Now, your your soul is like a bridge between the spiritual world and the physical world. So we have spirit, we have body. But in between the spirit and body, there is a faculty called a soul. And so, most of the things that is achieved in the physical realm by spirits have to go through your soul. For instance, how does Satan talk to people? You don't hear the audible voice of Satan. Most times, Satan speaks to your mind. If you hear his audible voice, it means he employed somebody. He can employ your neighbor and say, go and talk to that person. For instance, he employed Job's wife. Why do you still maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. That was not just the voice of Job's wife. That was the voice of Satan. He just employed um, Job's wife to execute his agenda. But the regular way that Satan speaks to many people is that he whispers to their mind. Don't you see you are too good for this ministry you are doing? Don't you think that you should, instead of being a pastor, be a model? Fine boy like you, holding microphone, talking to 100 people every Sunday. Why don't you, come on, do something else with your life? He whispers. Listen, how Satan spoke to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, how um, Satan always speaks to people. Judas 
Peter is often by whispering to their mind. And then when he whispers to their mind, he can get them to act. So whatever happens in the mental realm, in the solical realm, now eventually begins to act out in the physical realm. So the thoughts of man, very important in the spirit realm. Because the spirit realm uses that bridge of the soul to affect people physically to you know impact people in a tangible way do we understand that there are also practices that are referred to as spiritual practices that actually can um, help you experience spiritual realities but these practices are executed in the mind through thoughts for instance there's something called meditation which is not just a Christian practice. There are Buddhists who meditate. There are yoga practitioners who meditate. I know some Christians do yoga, uh, but yoga is different from yoga. Not the one you are doing. And if possible, abstain from any of them. Don't put yourself in that wall. Some of them <laughs> have strong cultic roots. And uh, where you begin to meditate and you begin to enter into demonic realms. You will begin to travel like a witch of Calabar. Sorry, I used Calabar. Witch of, okay, sorry. <laughs> I sincerely apologize. <laughs> but then, meditation is not just a Christian thing. You know, somebody can, um, you know, interact with demons by meditation. And we see that it is practiced in scriptures. Joshua 1 verse 8 speaks about this book of the Lord. should not depart from your mouth. You should meditate upon it night and day. And observe to do all that is written therein. In Psalm chapter 1, speaking about the blessed man, it talks about the fact that that man meditates on God's word. You know, night and day. So, meditation on the word, for instance, is a way thoughts affect the spirit. The word is spirit. When I meditate on the word, I use my soul to meditate, but I interact with the spirit of God by that meditation. It may look like just a soulish act. An act, a mental act or a mental activity, but actually it gets you into realms of the spirit. Um, if you know how to do it well. Sometimes, I mean, people, I was listening to, I think it was Andrew Womack who was saying that our generation really finds many of these practices absurd because we have to always look at our phone and watch the TV and watch the laptop. You know, in ancient days, people just entered forests. No distraction. They would just hear the sound of birds, that's all they would hear, and they would meditate. They would all the scientific breakthroughs that people had in the you know previous years, people just meditated and they began to develop ideas. But our generation is quite very busy. We are always pressing phone and looking at something and watching something. We really do not get time to exercise our minds. One of the most underutilized machines in the Christian is the machine of the mind. Even many times in church, our mind is not active. Even when we pray, most times, our mouth is moving, our mind is not active. That's why it's a very big problem. You cannot really become a really spiritual person if you don't maximize the faculty of your mind. In defining a spiritual man, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, from verse 14 to 16, Paul says the spiritual man understands. And you use your mind to understand. So, you cannot say you are a spiritual person when your mind is not nurtured to grasp, to understand. 
One of the ways I know a spiritual man is just to confirm how much he understands about God, about the Word of God, about the truth. And it is your mind. So in Ephesians 1 and verse 17 to 18, Paul prays that the eyes of your understanding, which is your mind, be enlightened. As you be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. There is too much mental laziness, solical laziness, even from spiritual people who just want to use their mouths to pray. But mind is absent-minded. But clearly, thoughts, imaginations, thinking, mind is very, very crucial to experiencing spiritual things and to becoming a spiritual person. Do we understand that? Alright, let's move on to the next question. Oh, let me see if there's something else I can add up to ensure that this is thoroughly dealt with. God often speaks through your mind also. God speaks through your spirit, but it passes your mind. That's why we said meditation is very important even to hearing God. When God speaks, it will often pass your mind. What that means is your mind is that bridge between the invincible world and the visible world, between the intangible world and the tangible world. So, if a man hears God and does not have understanding, he has heard God, but his mind is not groomed enough to translate what was spoken into something relevant or useful. So it's a waste. That's why you must cultivate your mind to understand the voice of God. Because uh, God does not speak English. God speaks spirit. His word is spirit and life. So He speaks spirit. Now, if your mind is trained to understand the language of the spirit, all you may hear God say is hmm and you just get it. It's not like me and my wife. My wife does not have to open her mouth to communicate with me. A little signal, because I'm intimate with her, I know what she's saying, I know what she wants, I know what she needs. You know, so you can train your mind to really understand the spirits behind God's words. And that's the way God speaks. Many people wait for angels, wait for prophets. God speaks through your mind. So renew your mind. Are you listening to me? You see, one of the ways you can get into these dimensions is to really take interest in spiritual things. Actually, you would hear very clearly what you are interested in. What your mind has interest in will be clear to you. If I say two, one, what do you think about? There are plenty of answers. Don't worry. It just depends on where your mind is. Two, one. You said football, Abby. That's the cause of a football match. Now, a lady's wondering which kind of football. Another answer. Two, one. Twenty, twenty-one. Second class upper. Another answer. Two thousand one hundred. Everybody's you see everybody's mind is in different different things. Two one. Two thousand one hundred. Liverpool versus Manchester. Second class upper. Two point one million. Okay, Jerry. What are we going to do? Two thousand one hundred to do. You guys, so it's where your mind. You would see there are constant voices in the realm of the spirit, always talking. But when your mind is tuned. The wrong things. You hear wrong things. Somebody says, I cannot hear God. I cannot hear God. It's your mind. Your mind is not interested. God, God He always speaks. He doesn't go on a quiet break. For, I mean, God is, Himself is referred to as the Word. I cannot hear God. I cannot hear God. Your mind, your, the faculty of your mind has not been trained to trap His voice. 
or to translate what you are hearing. Do we get that? So, God, who is a spirit, speaks to us. Now, there are other ways he speaks to us, but this is the vital, fundamental way that he speaks. And if you can cultivate and nurture your mind, it will be very good too, even in the realm of the spirit. God drops thoughts, impressions into your heart. You just, but you must make sure you confirm that the thoughts aligns with the word of God. Somebody, I just feel like slapping Pastor Judah this morning. The demon will cast it out. So, <laughs> when a thought crosses your mind, you now examine. Does it align with the word of God? Does it tally with scriptures? If it tallies with scriptures, it's God speaking. No, does not speak louder than that. Many of the most important decisions I've made, I just had an impression. Do this. Go to this place. Get involved in this. An impression. No dream, no vision. I'm not downplaying those other mediums, but fundamentally, the spirit bears witness with our spirits. We are sons of God. It's, an, it's a spirit into the mind conversation most times. Let's move on here. If you have questions, please. Uh, I'm taking questions of any kind and any type. So, <laughs> if I cannot answer the question, I will tell you that I don't know the answer. One of the marks of a great teacher is that he admits when he does not know. We know in part. We understand in part. So, if I don't know your answer, your question, no vex. It's just that, well, I'm limited also. Alright, a few other questions here. How do you clarify the way God spoke to man, mostly in the Old Testament? Is it that they hear his voice audibly, or he shows himself and spoke? Okay, this is very related to the question I just answered. Let me read that question again. How do you clarify the way God spoke to man, mostly in the Old Testament? Is it that they hear his voice audibly or he shows himself and spoke? Well, we have, um, it depends on what you mean by Old Testament anyway. If you are talking about Genesis, the first time we see that God spoke to man is in Genesis chapter 3. Well, what was recorded was actually a report from previous activity. It said that God came in the cool of the day, spoke with man. God said, where are thou? Now, the Bible didn't say that God appeared, but it suggested that there was actually a form that Adam and Eve interacted with because it says God came in the cool of the day. In other words, it suggested that there was actually, okay, no, he also says that Adam hid from God. So that means there was something he was hiding from, there was a form he was hiding from. So it suggests that there was a visitation. And um, that was the first time we see that God spoke. Subsequently, God spoke to Cain in Genesis before, after he murdered Abel interrogated him and gave a judgment on him. Subsequently, Genesis chapter 6, God spoke to Noah. I believe that was not an appearance. It could have been an appearance. It was not stated though. It must have been an audible voice. But I believe that God dominantly spoke to the people before Moses through a voice or an angel. Abraham, um, Noah probably heard the voice. Most likely that's the medium that God used to speak with them. Um, after Moses, God began to speak through the ministry of prophets. So the prophet became the medium through which God spoke. That was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there seems to be a restoration to the Edenic order where God speaks to man from his spirit. Not necessarily an appearance like it happened in Eden or like we think it happened in Eden. But for the question, basically in the Old Testament, 
He spoke through prophets. That's what he even says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Put it on the screen. God in sundry times and diverse manners have spoken through the prophets to our fathers. But now in these days has spoken through the Son. Okay. God at various times, what is called sundry times and diverse manners in the King James is called various times in the New King James. Spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. In these last days, spoken to us by his son. Alright, so in the old in the old covenant or the old testament, depending on where you are counting it from, if you are talking about from Moses, that's the prophetic medium. Moses, Samuel, Elijah, that was how God spoke. But there were also other experiences of angelic visitations, audible voices, dreams. Just before Jesus was born, there were a series of dreams. I mean, Mary had one or two. Joseph had one or two also. Um, and all of that. Okay, are we clear on that? What? It will also be safe to say that God did not often appear himself to speak with people. The appearance of God was not compatible with the people. It's one of the reasons when they saw a form of God or some form of appearance on Mount Sinai, the people were very scared. And they said, Moses, we will not go up with you to the mountain. You hear from God and you speak to us. So God often sent angels. And let me say this. Sometimes the angels in the Old Testament are actually written as G-O-D. And you do a proper study, you now know, okay, this was not really God, it was an angel. Because, you see, the Bible puts an emphasis on the power and the authority of a messenger. So when an angel comes in the name of God, <laughs> he eventually almost comes as God. So some of the writings you will read in scriptures, you have to really deduce, is this God or an angel? For instance, an angel appeared to, I think, the parents of Samson. And they were like, we are going to die, we are going to die. Nobody can see God and live. It was an angel, not God. Right, but they, they, of course, they just concluded that that was a form of God and all of that. So some of times, sometimes you see in the Old Testament, G.O.D. is used to describe a personality. Meanwhile, it's a messenger of God. Maybe in one of our teaching series, I'll try and explain all of this. Because we have to really confirm where God is at work and where God spoke and where God acted in the Old Testament. Intelligently. It's a very thorough such and you have to be very careful alright let's move on here in the aspect okay, this is a very interesting question in the aspect of hugging opposite sex is there any biblical scriptures that affairs that I don't know what it means by affairs that but maybe it means object or support or how do you use the word affairs I know to Sabi English but affirm no, I don't think you want a man. No. Anyway, I think whatever is just trying to say whether there's a biblical verse that either objects to it or supports it. How can we explain to people that does not really understand this concept and take it for room to sexual pleasure? I ask because I tried to explain to someone that it's a warm greeting attitude to express love, but the person did not agree to me. To, the person did not agree because he's a lecturer. And what he believes doesn't tally with the aspect of hugging opposite gender. Now, I don't know if this person went to go and hug his lecturer or a lecturer. I don't know. But let's answer the question. All right. Um, 
actually, I, I think in the last two weeks, I've seen some very interesting, interesting um, perspective to this subject. I am a colleague in ministry. I heard him really bashing the concept of hugging. In fact, he was going to call all the brothers out that hug sisters in there. Just say, stand up. <laughs> I just think, firstly, it's a culture thing. Culture. And you must understand the culture you are in before you do anything. If you go abroad, you will be seeing people pecking each other anyhow. President Buhari can visit the Queen of England and then they kiss him on the... It's just, that's their culture. Pecks are normal things. Do we understand? When an angel you day. So you get that. <laughs> if you go and peck your lecturer, say good morning. What's your matric number? <laughs> what? <laughs> you may not graduate, though. <laughs> if, you do, if you go to work and somebody resumes at the desk and you say hello mademoiselle sexual harassment they only part of us oh yeah so you have to understand your culture the, I mean the culture where you live in before you do any of those things for instance here we have a hugging culture and many of you can see for me I hug because I grew up hugging in our family it's a taboo to say good morning you don't go to my mom and say good morning as a child. She will look at you that what are you what are you who are you talking to? You want to say good morning, you come and touch me. You don't say good morning, mommy. What is that? Is this a slave camp? We touch one another and say, How are you doing? Hope you slept well. That's, what, that's how we grew up. So when I see people bashing again, I just used to love that. Hey. You know we all grew up differently. Some ladies, the reason why they are pregnant today is because somebody told them for the first time at twenty one. You're so beautiful. The thing vibrates them. They have never heard it before in their life. Their father never told them. In me, somebody look at me and say, I'm so beautiful. Oh, today is a good day. And so some people didn't grow up, some people grew up in a very hostile environment where touches are taboos, hugs are no, 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 you don't do that. You greet your father like this. And you have to continue that culture. I remember my, my father had some siblings, my uncles, they came from the village to greet. So I entered from school and I saw them. I didn't know them, so I just greeted them. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, ma. And I entered the room. They summoned my father. The way elder is the way elder is the way his elder brothers. Some come on, Raphael, is this what you teach your children? So my father knew of course how he trained us. He knew that I didn't greet I didn't greet him like that. I greeted my father like he was Haba, Haba father, not like his you know. So my father called me and asked me that I should greet them again. I said, Greet them how? So I should prostrate. I felt like they were beating me. Prostrate for what? Did I do anything wrong? Say, just prostrate. That's our culture. I, I cannot even speak my village language. My father didn't train us with all those Kaba mentality. I come from Kaba, a place in Nigeria. I've been there just once in my life. I, I don't, I don't, let me just, let me just say, I don't like the place. Because I was not exposed to the place. I don't know what they, the only thing I know about them is that they used to say, Okun, um, Okun, um. That's all they say. In the Greek, Okun, um, Okun, um. So, posturing to those mighty men was, I was very embarrassed. So, I, I posturing to them one after the other, one after the other. About five of them, yeah. They didn't collect one. No. 
they, they don't share this. They don't share the portion. You, you give everybody their right food. I was very bitter. I entered the room. I didn't come out till they left. You want to see your face again? But culture. So, point I'm making is that you have to really know what you are doing. When I go out of my environment, I don't hug people. In fact, if I, if, if, if probably I've done this with you, if I come close to you and I say that you are new to me, I'll ask you, do you shake? I, will, I, won't, I won't just, I will ask you, do you shake? If you are comfortable, I'll shake you. If you hug, fine, I'll give you a hug too. It's just um, a culture. And we don't do that with any um, pervert motive whatsoever. But now, to answer the question, I'll say it is not wrong. But however, in some cases, it is not appropriate. Hugging the opposite sex is not wrong. But in some cases, it is not appropriate. Basic ethical wisdom. Once you are speaking with somebody or you are um, in the presence of somebody who you are not probably too intimate with. When I say intimate, I mean that you are probably strangers. If, as a man, you approach the person... Let the person determine, let the lady determine how she wants to greet you. So if somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Judah, I'm like, I don't know you. I won't do that. I don't think Jesus would have done that. Somebody came to Jesus, took her hair, and was wiping his legs. The Pharisees said, If this man is a prophet, he will know that this one is a sinner. Uh, stay there. I've collected my worship. You stay there and be crying. Yeah, so if somebody comes to me, stranger, and just says, Pastor Judah, I would hug you. Yeah, I would hug you. It doesn't even take anything away from me. But if I'm the one that comes to meet you, I will say, hello, how are you doing? First, then I'll see how you respond. If you do like this, I will take one step back and say, God bless you. And it's okay because not everybody grew up with that culture of touch to greet and all that. You have to respect everybody's boundaries. You have to respect everybody's boundaries. Do we understand that? So, but I will not, I'm not supporting the idea of bashing people that hug or claiming they are perverts. <laughs> uh, that's a very extreme stand. That's a very extreme stand to think like that. But most times it's because people, people, people often, you know, people base doctrines on their experience and their own education. And they now try to form a doctrine of it. It's not, you can say personally you don't like it. That's fine. You don't like it. No, no, Allah. But don't now make it look like it is sinful or those that practice it are evil people. That's not not the appropriate conclusion either. Do we get that? One last question here. If there's any question, please bring it forward. Once I'm done with this, I'll pick up the question um, from the audience. What does the tree of life in Genesis 2 verse 9 signify? Is it the Holy Spirit? If no, then what? That's this person in the VX. So. Say, if you then what? Kill me, God says. <laughs> now, let me say this. There are many theories about the concept in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And maybe sometimes we have to just study books, study chapters. Because the way things are going, there are too many extremes. For instance, there's a theory that suggests that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is sex. And that the serpent had sex with Eve and gave back to Cain. If I, I mean, if I tell you the denominations that believe this thing, you are just saying, ah, that's why you must know, you must study scriptures. There are many 
church denominations that believe of these funny things. And you hear you say, ah, Rema is over. This Rema is plenty. I mean, I heard the man of God say, God did not intend for Adam to have intercourse with Eve to give birth. He was supposed to just speak the word. Eve be pregnant. I heard the Rema that I say, oh, it is deep. It is deep come. Then why did God create all the sexual organs? Or did the sexual organs come after the fall? Were they created after the fall? How did he explain that God created sexual organs, hormones, into a body? Sexual hormones before the fall. How did he explain that? Well, there are many, many orishi rishi theories. <laughs> Some people also believe that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not really a tree. Just as the serpent is not really a serpent. But now, there are also there are logical explanations to this thing. But the issue is, if we say the tree was not a tree, okay, that means when the Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was not the earth. Because by the time we begin to say everything in Genesis 1 and 2 was not really, was figurative. Because there are details about God creating plants, animals, vegetation, stars, moon. Are you going to say all those things too were figurative? So it is just safe sometimes to have ABC revelation. Don't be going to deep things. This is Rama where they find who put you for trouble. I personally do not find it difficult that Satan tempted Eve with a tree. After all, he tempted Jesus with bread. Why should somebody not say this tree was not true? It's the, the, the most popular concept now, particularly among charismatics. And grace theologians is that the tree represented unbelief. And that just as Jesus is called the tree of life or the bread of life, you see, every time you see of life in Revelations, it refers to Jesus. Water of life, river of life, bread of life. All of that is actually speaking about Jesus. And so they have said that, well, what was also spoken about in Genesis 3, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is actually unbelief. Well, I think the most important thing in that story is that God gave an instruction that should not be disobeyed. And then Eve disobeyed and the result was to fall. To know exactly, some people have said the tree is apple tree. Banana. Stop eating apple. Stop eating banana. It is evil tree and all of that. Many times when you see graphic designs of seduction or temptation, you see apple and snake. They, they, they try to give the impression that the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is apple. But the most important thing there is that it was an instruction, a commandment. And, um, but it is not the Holy Spirit. Actually, the question is, what is the truth of life? Let me be sure what the question is. Yes, what is the truth of life? So, I was answering, what is the truth of the knowledge I'm going to do? Is it the Holy Spirit? No. What is it? It is... Let me, let me say it like this. It is immortality. Now, <laughs> you know, oftentimes we are taught that God chased Adam and Eve out of the garden because they sinned and in a sense they were no longer compatible with him. That's true. That's true in a sense. But the reason was stated clearly in Genesis 3. It says they have become like us. If they eat of the tree of life, they will be 
irredeemable. Is it irredeemable or unredeemable? Irredeemable. It will, be, it will be impossible to repair them. Because that tree of life will get you in a permanent state, whatever state you are currently. If Adam ate that tree at that point where he was a sinner, he will permanently be a sinner. Redemption will no longer be possible. So it was out of the mercy of God that he takes them out. So that when I send my son, the lamp of the world, there will still be someone to redeem on the earth. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So you can say that that tree of life is immortality, which we have eaten already in a sense, but the full experience of it will happen at the rapture. We have eaten the tree of life when we, receive in Je- when we believe in Jesus, in a sense, but not in, the, not in the full sense of it. Some of you now teach immortality that Christians will not die. I'm still looking at the concept, but I don't agree. I believe that what is using in First Corinthians 15 is the pattern for every believer. That the dead in Christ will rise first. It means that there, was, there is supposed to be the dead in Christ. Then we who are alive will be caught up. And then we will exchange bodies. In other words, we cannot even get to immortality without them. That's the pattern. Oh, no, do Ojoro and give us full expression of immortality first. No. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then, we now also will put on immortal bodies. This immortality teaching, in fact, one of us who is out of the country was asking me that. He's hearing it everywhere. I say it's very popular. Everybody who has taught it has died. And they keep teaching it. Some people have lost their teeth and they are teaching it. Some people, they have gray hair, they are teaching it. And they say immortality, immortality, immortal, immortal. Well, I, I just stay with scriptures, the simplicity of it. We are promised eternal life. Everybody say eternal life. And that's what, that's what Jesus has given us, which is a foretaste of, it, of immortality. It's a foretaste. In fact, the Holy Ghost is a foretaste too of the glory of the new life. But we don't have it yet. Because there are prophetic calendars and agendas that God has set in motion. And God will not break, break his timeline just because if they switch you, they hungry you to walk through walls and, and not be able to sleep anymore because you are immortal. Do we get it? So I think that that explains the truth of life. It is immortality. We have a foretaste of it, but subsequently we have the full experience of it. Do we get that? All right, let's take a few other questions here. Does the blood of Jesus offer protection? Does the blood of Jesus offer protection? Like when we cover ourselves with the blood of Jesus before embarking on a journey. Alright, very um, important question. Fundamentally, the blood of Jesus was... Um, the blood of Jesus is referenced in scriptures for the remission of sins. Fundamentally. For the remission of sins. Without blood, there is no remission which refers to Forgiveness of sins. Types and shadows of the operation of the blood in scriptures actually can also be extended to the full expression of salvation. What we have in English, salvation, in the Greek is soteria, doesn't just communicate salvation from sins. It also communicates deliverance from evil. And so a type of salvation is the Exodus, which refers to Israel coming out of Egypt. Are we still together? 
follow, follow closely. How did they come out of Egypt? They were told to sprinkle blood on the doorposts of their houses. Such that the angel of death came to them and passed over them. In that case, it is salvation in a sense. But also, it is deliverance from evil. It is protection from death. Do we understand? Come on, are we still together? Just follow. Because I will say a few other things that may be a bit controversial. So, the blood fundamentally is for salvation, for forgiveness, which actually is a synonym to salvation. Salvation, however, is not limited to the concept of salvation from sins. Salvation is extended to the concept of salvation from Satan. Salvation from death. Just like Israel experienced in the Exodus. Or the Passover. That's the, that's the actual term used. Now, you can go into extreme measures. We know that the Corinthian church practiced the Lord's Supper or the Holy Communion. And we do that here too, once in two months, every other month. We do that here. But there are extreme measures of the application of the blood. I cover this fire with the blood of Jesus. I cover the driver with the blood of Jesus. It is extreme. Are we together? So I'm about to sit down on this chair. I learned that there's monkeypox. I cover this chair with the blood of Jesus. You see, that um, excessive mentioning of the blood is actually an extreme practice. Some people even cover their testimonies with the blood of Jesus. I cover this testimony with the blood of Jesus. That's extreme. That's extreme. I said I will say a few things that may be controversial, but let me explain why. It is best to stick. You see, when we want to um, maximize a provision of God, stick to how it was used in the Bible. Stick. The principle is stick to how it was. Now, in the epistles, do you see any place anywhere where Paul said, "I cover all of you with the blood of Jesus"? And somebody answered me, "Is there any place?" Where Paul was praying for somebody. And I said, as you are going, I cover you. Is there any place? Is there any place where Paul was talking and he, he says, I applied the blood? Is there, some of you don't know. That's why you're not answering me. Read your Bible. So that when, we, when I'm asking you questions, you can answer me. And I can be on the same page. So, if it's not emphasized in scriptures, you may want to be very careful with it. Don't go into extremes. Stay in the middle. How is the blood used? For remission of sins. Now, does it mean that I cannot plead the blood? No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that yes, you can say, I plead the blood and receive safety over my journey. And that's once you have said this is enough. When you say, I cover the steering with the blood of Jesus, the driver's hand with the blood of Jesus, the tire, the blood of Jesus. Now, you are doing, you are doing Babalawu. It was important. Do we what I'm saying here? You see, you must, you must know that Christianity is not just ceremony and religion. When we say, I pray the blood of Jesus, what we do now is to remember the covenant of salvation which includes protection. Activate it by words. Enforce it by decrees. One, what you do, if you're a man of authority, you don't shout too much. When I hear, you know all those transport evangelists. People who preach in buses to collect hundred naira. When I hear some of the prayers they pray, it's horror film. Listen to the prayer, it's traumatic. Your head will not break. Your leg will not scatter. Are you praying or you are cursing? What, what are you doing? 
Are you praying or you are inducing fear? Every blood sucking demon on the road will not touch you. Your blood is bitter. Ah, come on. You see that one has entered into excessive prayers, please. That's not. What I, what I, see, one was praying like that beside me. After I finished praying, he wanted to collect money. I told him, I said, he must not give me one cobble. He started cursing me immediately. Because I'm spoiled his market and I enjoy doing it. If you, if you, if you come and say, I may not always play the I'm a pastor card in public places, but if I hear anything that, that actually does harm to the gospel, because people, I mean, one man, it was so, so annoying. He did his funny so called preaching, which was actually like, telling us to so He never said anything about the gospel that Jesus died or Jesus rose from there. Nothing about that. Just use the, the issue of fear to preach that you should give to him. Support God's work. God will protect you as you support God's work. In other words, if you don't support God's work, God will not protect you. And then he looked at the woman beside me wearing hijab and collected money from her. You didn't share the gospel. You didn't even say to this woman, Jesus loves you. This woman is going to hell. You only to collect money. I was angry. My wife had to say, calm down. Don't talk again. <laughs> let me tell him. Let me send him back to where he came from. You're a businessman. You're not a preacher. You're not representing Jesus. A Muslim, you can't say Jesus loves you. You only to collect money. That will support God's work. So, we don't want to induce fear and now become so devil, demon conscious. You know. But when we say it, understand what you are doing. You are activating... The, because the blood represents the covenant that Jesus has made with us. A covenant of life. Right? When they sprinkled the blood, what actually happened was that they enforced life. That's what they did. They enforced life. So, if, for instance, you don't want to use the phrase, I sprinkled the blood, but you want to say... Because of what Jesus has done, I receive safety. That works. It doesn't have to be by putting the blood of Jesus on the driver, on the road. It doesn't have to be like that. Because, because when you say put the blood, you are saying Jesus shed his blood. That's what we are saying. Put the blood of Jesus. You are enforcing the covenant that comes from the blood of Christ. And then you use it. So that's how it works. But no extreme measures. Do we understand? Because we have to. Unbelievers watch us a lot and they, many times they are confused. He sprinkled blood on tire. He sprinkled blood on anything. He sprinkled blood. <laughs> hey. They will just think that our faith is a very, it's just booze and ram, blood, but. One of my friends says he feels like a toy in the hands of God. Like an experiment. Like how he didn't even want to exist in this world, but he's here. When he asked about the reason God created us, I answered for his pleasure. Then he also talked about how he feels God is selfish. What can I do concerning this issue? Yes, God is selfish. And rightly so. God is the only is the only person. Let me use the word person. Who has the right to be selfish? Everything he created for his pleasure. If he pay you, you see, we must admit that we are human beings. We are not God. There's too much deification of humanity. That's why truth like this becomes offensive. God is selfish. Very selfish. Not very selfish, absolutely selfish. For thou was created, all things and for thy pleasure, they are and were created. Everything he made, every drop of your blood, every cell in your body was for his pleasure. But God is also so loving that even in his selfishness, love is the natural reaction and action. 
the day God stops being selfish, the world will end. God has to be selfish to keep things going. The sun, the moon, created for his pleasure, as he's shining it is to his pleasure. The day that woman base now wrestle it from the hand of God and say, want it for our pleasure, they will close the book. Things will not be fine until God is pleased. Listen to me. Things will not be fine. Things will not be beautiful until God is pleased. He created the world. He came and said, it is very good. According to the standard, if you were there, you say, God, it's not good though. Why don't you change it like this? It's not for you. Fundamentally, it's for his pleasure. Now, the thing is that as Christians, we are in the family of God. If your father is a businessman and your father blow, he chopped contracts under President Buhari of 3.9 billion. Say, you never blow. Okay, it's too small. 3.9 trillion. Some will reach your hand too now. Okay, dollars. No be naira. Oh, you mean? I understand. Oh, you mean? <laughs> so when you come to the family of God, you should not be worried that God is selfish. You should be happy. Because he, he looked at his apostles and says, he says, it is, Jesus looked at them and says, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, although God is selfish, which means that his purpose and his agenda is number one. The first thing on God's mind are the thoughts of God. But he has a family and he's also loving. He, he's responsible. He caters for his own. Let me say this. Sometimes, let me say it like this. Some of God's blessings are actually because he's selfish. Look at the popular psalm in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the stewardess. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Huh? For his name's sake. When God leads you, he's thinking about himself. Why? He has a reputation to protect. If anything harms my baby, nobody will blame my baby. They will blame me. Where was his father? So, you see, when God is selfish, it's for your good. Let him be selfish, people. Let him be selfish. So now we must train ourselves. This person asking the question for a friend or his friend. Your friend has to admit that you didn't, you're, you're a man. You did not determine when you came to this world. How you came to, you came. You're actually not a toy. You're a tool in the house of God. Is God using you? Yes. But that's the way you'll be happy and fulfilled in life. If you submit to the usury of God. Are you listening to me? When we embrace the fact that, see, yes, God made everything for his pleasure, including me. Let me just, at once, cooperate. No, let me, not make, let me just cooperate with God. Do not say that your life is sweet and beautiful. Jesus says, my meat is to do the will of him that has sent me and to finish his work. When you hear meat, now, think about your favorite meat. How many of you like crocodile meat? Okay. Sorry, I'm going too far. How many of you enjoy meat? Ah, ah. So now they talk fish. Raise your hand if you enjoy meat. Okay. Some people don't. Now let me use a popular meat. Chicken. Chicken is a good example. Is that not so? Or goat meat. Which one of them is it? Is he a woo? Okay. When you eat it, you know they switch your belly. Jesus said, my meat, my pleasure. Waiting at the garden for life. Now make I do the work of the one who sent me. And to finish it. So when you get to that point where I want to finish God's work. I want to do God's will. You experience pleasure. 
I've been working for God for a couple of years and I can tell you it is pleasurable. There are other times it's not pleasurable, but holistically, it's a pleasurable experience. And I will not, I've not tested the full pleasure yet. On the last day, uh, you will see real pleasure. You know, so we have to admit we didn't create ourselves. God created us, yes, but it is safe to submit to God's government, to God's selfish government, it is safe. And all things are for his, for his pleasure. Seven billion people on the earth. And God wants to control all of them. Yes. Because he made all of them. If he didn't make them, he has no right to demand them. He made all of them now. None of them made themselves now. And that's why atheism is striving amongst many people who want to be independent. Please pray for that, your friend. He is obviously under serious, serious... Um, attacks it doesn't come louder than that because God is too loving for you to think about him as only selfish I said he's selfish but only selfish no is he selfish yes everything is for himself yes but the goodies around him are too much so if he says come to me I want you to come to me it's not to come and suffer it's to give you life it's to bless you. It's to decorate your life. It's not to hurt you. It's not to... Jesus did not harm one single person. One. Everybody who came to him did not regret. Everybody. The only person who regretted was the one who rejected him. Judas. Who came to him then left him. Why would that kind of a person now be avoided? So, yes, God uses us as his tools. But it is also for our pleasure also, not just his pleasure. In other words, when we do his pleasure, we will also experience pleasure. Matthew 6, 11, it's a prayer which says, give us this day our daily bread. My question is, was Jesus, what was Jesus saying or what did he mean by our daily bread? Daily bread simply means daily provision or daily need. Whatever you need for today, wisdom. Strength, courage, help is included in the phrase daily bread. Certainly, it's not a food discussion, but because bread was symbolic of provision, that's why we see that Jesus used Claire? It is now the order of the day that most men, stroke boys, are not consciously or actively trained like girls for the God kind of family. Men in the house, do you agree? I'm coming. What are the things that the church can do to salvage this situation? Also, why is there, why is there no brothers fellowship in this church? <laughs> this is the next come. I don't like this kind of thing. I don't like them. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I agree to an extent that boys are not really trained. And I've, I've thought about it before in my teaching on um, what? Yes, but I also thought about it in our February teaching. No. Salient matters. Salient family something. Salient family salient something. Salient matters in today's world or something like that. I emphasize that many boys are not trained and uh, the girls, especially in this part of the world, 
It's not like they are not trained, but they are not trained too well. What is the church doing? The church is doing, emphasizing the truth, which is that boys and girls should be trained. And that training is useful for upbringing, as the Bible teaches. If anybody that follows me and knows me will know that if you are under me as a boy, you'll be trained. Ah, you'll be trained. If you just just stand and be looking at me, if you have sense, you'll get training. Because people are blind. Koda, they cannot see and learn. So, if you are under my true knowledge, ah, you cannot say that I don't emphasize that. It's something that, because I do it aggressively. If anything happens, for instance, between a young man and a young lady, Adam, where are you? Yeah, you are, you are the man, you are the leader. She's the one that tempted me. That's what Adam was doing in Genesis 3. He's the wife you gave me. You bring the man first, you call him to all that. You're the leader, you set the tone, you set the pace. So I do that. The body of Christ at large, I cannot speak for the body of Christ. I'm not the Pope. I'm not the president. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not even, I'm not even part of PFN. So everybody, have, but if you are here and you are submissive to me, oh, certainly I train boys. Now, to the narrow question, why is there no um, brothers? Fellowship? I will say this without any shame because many brothers are too proud. Yeah. If you know me, you know that I'm hesitant to teach proud people. Once I see that you get through that part, I say, where does I? You are very wonderful. You are a powerful person. Yeah. I don't like casting my peers before swine. I've discovered it's not just a Rema brother thing. And I'm not saying everybody in Rema is a brother is proud. <laughs> I'm only saying dominantly. And it's probably because of training too. Boys are trained to be independent. I'm a man. You're a man. Because you the old microphone. Come and say waiting. Have you seen that tweet? Or somebody said, Pastor, even he's just 32, why are they calling him father? Why are they calling him daddy? Somebody say, open your church. They, they, they call you baby. <laughs> you know, so, people just say, he doesn't hold your mic. What do you see? Which we support so obeying him. Why don't you I know they, but I know they usually, if you come with me, say you won't learn, ah, you go learn work. Work plenty when you go learn. But if you give me the help, you be guy, be guy. Guy man, since. And I see it. Body language. You don't have to say with your mouth. I see your body language. I see the way. I, I will give you your respect. I, will, I stay where you put me. But I've discovered that many ladies are not like that. I don't know why. In church setting. If I open mentor group now, the first hundred people, I'm sure that 75% of them will be ladies. I'm very sure. I'm very sure. It's a very... Let's even talk about opening. If we call, if we say this, an emergency service tomorrow evening. I'm sure we will do the count. It will be three to one, three girls to one guy. I'm very sure it's, you can take the statistics. The record is with the ushering department. How many young men come to church? How many young men come to So, open for that fellowship. What will be doing there? They will ask, they will beat me, they will chase me, they will remove me as the admin. I say, Pastor, you have said your own. It's our own. Yeah. I, have not, I have not seen enough. There are things that motivate me to cheat and inspire me to lead. And for many brothers, I have not seen it. So I just give them, I keep them where they are. We respect each other. No, we are not fighting. No. But I will not play a role of a father when you treat me as a brother. I will not. I know they pass my past boundary. You see, since I'm young, I'll be like Pastor Aaron. I'll be 32 this year. I know old. I know get gray. So I stay in my place. If you say, ah, this person is not just, he's my pastor. I'll try to like that. And 
For some people, I give them pastors. Young men, you have called to order. I say, this one, this is how we do it. Do it like this. Yes, sir. The other person, where does that? Now, when you, now, when you put me, now I go put you. I saw my own life. I know there's no fight. So that's why we don't have brothers' fellowship. Yeah. The brothers can get angry. What they can do is to say, Ah, PJ! We will change. Uh, but if you say, Say, PJ, just wash us for everybody. Continue. It has only confirmed what I think about you. You, know? you can prove me wrong. I say, We'll prove him wrong. Ah, why? God does it? What makes him think like this? Why is he thinking like this? I have my evidence. Me, I don't talk without evidence. So I study, I observe, and I conclude. I read chemistry, so we know how to do research. That's not why. It's not because I read chemistry. Anyway, it's maybe it's just part of me. I don't come to conclusions and I study, look, look, and I am. Have, I've, I've gone to four years in ministry. I've suffered many heartbreaks. Person, where send you friend requests, write to you, say make you mentor him. You go write something for Facebook. You go come. You go say, you are mad, sir. Say so you don't know the Bible. You will not take it. It's the same person that says I should mentor him. I stand with the truth. I don't stand with any man of God. I stand with the truth. I might be no. Offense straight away. I'm so I stay in. I will teach on this concept on Father's Day. Many times, when you see a father reluctant to do something, he gets why. He asks something. He gets why. So you have to. If somebody is if it's your father, you have to encourage him that you are my father, sir. Uh, if you don't, a reasonable father will say, or a reasonable person will say, I'm just bro, and I go bad. At least I'm not your enemy. Bro, more. Welcome, all right, bye. In that way, we bro, actually. That's that. <laughs> all right. How do I have lasting peace in my heart? I constantly feel that I'm not pleasing God. Most times, it also seems God is far. No matter what I do, I'm always unsettled and dissatisfied. I'm stressed, tired, and necessarily do not know what to do. I want to experience a genuine, broken fellowship with God. Yes, I'm a believer. I'm born again. I've had bouts of depression. Many times, I get so frustrated. I just want to end it all. Firstly, embrace God's love. God's love is not a feeling. It's truth. It begins with an embrace. God's arms are always ever stretched open. Embrace it. You see, if you allow your feelings dictates to you, you would always be wrong. The prodigal son said, I'm not worried to be a son. Let me go back to him. He will take me as a servant. The father saw him from afar, ran to him, called the party. I said, Hey, my boy is back. There is never a time God is in a bad mood in terms of him loving you. Never. Never. In, far from you, impossible. You can't even be a believer and God is far from you. Impossible. He lives in you. His address is your life. It's not, you cannot, it's not, it's not possible. Far, never far. He promised never to leave you or forsake you. This truth will sound like fables until you believe. They are never experienced until you believe. In the, when, they, when they were about to throw Daniel into the lion's den, it felt like, eh, hey, your God, we are in there now. When Jesus was on the cross, they told him, come down, come down. There are situations that will make it look as though God is far from you. Somebody was even saying that. Now Jesus said, why have thou forsaken me? And in a sense, it looked like that. But in a, in also in a sense, God rose him up from the dead. 
It was the father who, by the power of the Spirit, who rose Jesus up from the dead. Never left him. Never left him. So, you see, the faith walk is the issue. It's not often, we want to have experiences before we believe. We want to see until we believe. Or we want to see before we believe. And that's the problem. It begins with faith. It begins with faith. I can tell you, you did not feel as bad as the thief beside Jesus. A rapist. A cruel murderer. A robber. And he turned to Jesus. Was the pain still there? Yes. When Jesus said, today you will be in paradise. Was he still on the cross? Yes. But I believe in his heart, he had peace. Because he believed the word of the Savior. I feel dirty. I feel unholy. I don't feel good. If you are born again, first of all, start with what does the word say? Not how you feel. Your feelings are often lies. Lies. The day where I feel least anointed could be the day I am most anointed. The day where I don't feel like preaching is the way God wants to use me the most. My feelings are often lies. So, you see, many of the sweet experiences in God do not begin with delight. They begin with discipline. Many of the wonderful, ecstatic experiences in God, they don't start with delight. You know, you start with discipline. You, God will first train you to live above your senses. If not, you will always be unstable. So you go to that training of accepting the truth, even if it does not feel like it. That's the discipleship training. You learn to pray when it feels like your mouth is heavy and God is not hearing you. Keep praying. You learn to fast when you are so hungry. You keep fasting. God is training you to live above how you feel. When you pass that stage, you enter autopilot mode. You cruise in the spirit. Everybody say cruise. Cruise. But many people have got broken down. We, we, are want, we want something to bycott the process or I mean to shorten the process. No. God cannot raise strong men like that. We say no. The process is that first of all, discipline. Go through the disciplines. And as you go through it, you will notice that your senses are giving way to the faculties of the spirit. Now, what you now think is sensing God's presence, experiencing God's presence, has always been a reality. But because your, the distraction of your natural senses are now destroyed, you can now experience it. That's how to have a permanent working relationship with God. Not the one that you are doing visitation with God. You visit the holies of widows, you leave, you come back again, you leave. So, feeling depressed, feeling sad, feeling bad about yourself, feeling not good enough, there are temptations. I mean, God was actually dealing with me on this two days ago, thereabouts. I'll, I'll probably teach on it in our next Holy Ghost service. You know that. Let me not say it so that when I teach on it, you will listen. Let me not say that one. <laughs> but, see, God has accepted you. The proof of His acceptance is that He gave you His Spirit, He called you His child. There is no greater proof than that. Did Daniel go to the lions then? Yes. Did the three children enter the furnace of fire? Yes. Did Job suffer? Yes. Was Paul beheaded? Yes. Did Peter, was Peter crucified upside down? Yes. Does it change the fact that God accepted them, embraced them? God was always with them. No. 
What can separate us from the love? Persecutions? Nope. Trials? Nope. Death? Nope. Nothing. It's fact. You see, when you accept it, that's when you begin to experience it. If you are waiting for a feeling to confirm it, no. Feelings don't confirm God's words. God's word is too eternal. Before there was anything called human feelings, God's word existed. They don't be made. They don't be made. Rah, 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 rah. So you believe the truth. Believing the truth will now make you act. You don't say, I believe, I don't act. So if I believe that God is always with me, I talk to him because I believe he's always with me. As I'm talking to him, somebody says, are you mad? I talk to yourself. No, I'm not talking to myself. He hears me. I've never seen him before. I've never touched him before, but I know he hears me. Why? Because the word says so. Training is in the word. But you are looking, but you, you don't have money in your account. You are very hungry. It doesn't matter. What is in me is stronger and greater than what is around me. What God has done in Christ for me is stronger than what Nigeria can do to me. So all the external activities does not change the fact. And these are the apostles' sleep. That's why they could be martyrs. Even in the face of death, they will never sense. I mean, Stephen was stoned. It was in the hour. Stephen never saw Jesus until he was stoned to death. Isn't that amazing? As he was being stoned, he now said, Ah, I behold the Son of Man. At the right hand of God. Throughout his lifetime, he didn't see that. When they were stoning him, that's when he saw that. He was always there, of course. He was always there. So, don't let your feelings distract you. Let your faith propel you to the right actions. I read the Bible because I believe God speaks to me. How does He speak to me? He speaks to me through the Word. So I read the Bible. I don't understand what I read, but I'll read again. I'll keep reading tomorrow again. I'll come to church. I don't feel like coming to church. I feel like church is boring and dragging because I'm not going participating in what is happening. But I'll say, come. I'm disciplining myself to break that barrier. Then I enter into that cruise mood. It will come. If you stay with it, it will come. When the apostles were with Jesus, it was not always cozy. There were many confusions and it was really you. At a point he told them they have to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. Many of them left. Ah, vampire no more. I'm not going to do this kind of thing again. Peter said, where shall we go? At that point, Peter said it. He said, no understand though. Say so you alone have the words of eternal life. He too didn't get everything, but it was like, we shall be there. Because we know that this is the way of, of truth. Subsequently, he wouldn't betray his master. I'm telling you that even the greatest of men who experienced high level, high realm spirituality, they had their own doubts. They had their own moments of. They had their own down moments. What made a difference? They stayed with it. Everybody says, stay with it. Abraham laughed when they told him he was father of many nations. Sarah laughed. They are called father and mother of faith today. Yet they laughed at the promise. They giggled. <laughs> what are you saying? When they laughed and they were convicted, they now lied. I did not lie. Father of faith, Yet he's not known for lies in scripture. He's not known for doubt. He's known for faith. Why? God would only record what you did consistently. What you'll be known for is what you did in the end. In the end, will you stand with God? And you see, when you get, when you get to that point, Ah, you have entered the cruise lane. There are things you will find yourself doing that you'll be like, wow, I didn't know I could do this. I didn't know I could experience this. But it begins with faith. Whoever wrote this, brother or sister, faith, faith, 
faith. Accept what God has said. It is what is true. Any other thing, any other feeling, any other so-called fact or experience is a lie. It's a lie. It's amazing how in the day when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, and it looked as though Jesus was very close to Satan, actually, God was the closest in that equation. Even if you have nightmares of Satan pursuing and harassing you, the reason why you are still alive is because there is a God who fights your battles. That you are in a struggle shows that God is with you. So, I hope that helps. Let's pray in tongues for a few seconds for that person. Just pray in the spirit for that person. Let assurance rise up in their hearts. Let assurance rise up in their heart by faith, by faith, by faith. Jesus heal the wounds. Jesus heal the wounds. Jesus heal the wounds. Bring comfort. Bring peace. Bring joy. Hallelujah. Thank you for praying. We we'll trust that God would use our prayers as capital to do business and continue what He wants to do. What is the Messianic 1000 year reign? Would the great tribulation take place for seven or 1000 years? What is the significance of baptism? The last one is easier to answer. Let me answer it. The last one. What is the significance of baptism? It's like a wedding ring to a married man. It's symbolic of a reality that has already taken place. When you are baptized, it means that you are already saved. If you get baptized without being saved, you just took a shower. There is nothing that you have done. Infant baptism, nonsense. Uh, baptism in the hope of salvation, nonsense. It is, you don't get to wear a wedding ring when you are a single and say, I am married by faith. You marry, then you wear a ring. And you don't even wear it yourself. It's the person you marry that will wear it for you. So it's symbolic. When we enter into the water, it's symbolic of being baptized into the body and under the lordship of Jesus. When we are immersed under the water, it speaks of our coming under the government of Christ Jesus. Symbolic new. If you are not born again, you are doing that. It doesn't mean anything. It speaks in First Corinthians chapter 10 concerning Israel that they were all baptized as they passed under the cloud. The cloud was a type of God's presence. They were under God's presence. They were under the influence of God. They were under the government of God. When we also get baptized, it speaks of we coming under the influence of God, under the government of God. Do we understand that? All symbolic. A symbol represents a reality. We'll, okay, what is the Messianic 1000 year reign? Eschatology is a very controversial subject. There are many beliefs, but what we believe here in Ramatapu, after the rapture, there will be a period of tribulation. There will be the judgment seat of Christ in that period. Then we will come back with Jesus to reign on the earth. That's what is referred to as the Messianic. 1,000 hearing. According to our theology and many other Pentecostal and charismatic believe and teach this. Like I said, it's controversial. It's controversial. Many people have their views. Some people believe that um, 
everything in Revelation is also symbolic and that it's not really directly like that and all of that. But that's what we believe here. So after the rapture, the rapture, Jesus will not come to the earth. He will stay in the sky. Just as the apostles watched him in the sky when he was taken up, he will stay in the sky. We will come up with him. A couple of events will happen afterwards. There will be judgment seat of Christ, which only applies to believers. It's more described as a reward seat of Christ. Judgment seat of Christ, Jesus will be slapping everybody say, You will not pray. That's not the idea of judgment of Christ. Is that God, Jesus will reward his servants and um, you know, applaud some who have done well. Those who did not do well, of course, he will rebuke them. There will be rebukes in the judgment seat, but nobody's going to hell. Anybody who goes to the judgment seat of Christ does not go to hell. Do we get that? It is white strewn judgments. I may have to teach on eschatology. If God, there are many things I keep saying I will teach on, I will teach on. There are too many things to cover. The Bible is plenty. <laughs> Unfortunately, many of you just stay here for two years or three years. So sometimes I have to repeat, repeat some things because when I say that the new generation does not even understand something, let's go and repeat some things instead of building on. But God will help us with all trans and um, find a way around all these issues. But White throne judgment is for unbelievers. Anybody who goes to that judgment goes to hell. Judgment of Christ is for believers. Then we'll come down to reign. I, yeah, I think, I think, I'm not too certain, but I think that's, that 1,000 years is when Satan will be bound in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. That's when we will reign on earth with Jesus for 1,000 years. So th- there will be no Satan at that time. Uh, yes, I think after that should now be the Armageddon battle, the last war. There's a sequence of events that happens like that, about seven to ten things. But for the question in particular, we will come down with Jesus to reign with Him on the earth. The other question there says, will the great tribulation take place for seven or one thousand years? It should be seven years based on the regular interpretations of the book of Revelation. The great tribulation will happen immediately after the rapture. When the Antichrist perfects his government and now begins to compel compliance to his rule and um, things like the mark of the beast and all of that will be in full operation. But the thing is that Revelation, yes, is a, a highly symbolic book. So when you see seven years... You know that in Peter, Apostle Peter says that a day, a thousand years to a man is just a day to God. So some of these prophetic numbering systems are not too clear. But it is reasonable that it is seven years. It is reasonable. Um, there are also some of these studies in Daniel. If you want to study eschatology, please read Daniel and Revelation so you get the full picture. Do that with the Bible commentary or accurate teachers of scriptures. There are many wrong teachings. Some people don't believe in the rapture. Some people don't believe in hell and heaven. So you have to ensure that what you are reading is accurate. But are we clear on that? Alright. How do you deal with a difficult parent who keeps seeing you as immature due to differences in beliefs as a Christian? How do you deal with them? First of all, honor them. Make sure you don't behave immature around them. So if the accusation is legit, please deal with some of your childish tendencies. Mommy, mommy, I am hungry. Um, nobody will respect you like that as a parent. 
you are 21. It's as you strike that is deceiving many of you. Eti go, eti dagba. Eti dagba. I was telling one of my sister, I said Mary was 14 when she was pregnant of Jesus. Everybody say 14. You know how it was like when we were 14. So, you must, you see, Paul told Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Or be an example in charity, in faith, in love. There's a way you can live that your parents will say, oh, what's it go, what's it go? You understand? All this school went on track today, you are traveling today. It's what we are saying. I want to go and visit more money. We now say they should respect you. Nobody respect you. You have an opportunity to do a retreat, three days, spend time with God. You are going home to go and eat Eba. Nobody can respect you like that. Sometimes just say, Mommy, I'll be back next week. I want to just do a few personal things. I have a little window to spend time with God. They will respect you like that. So if this is true that you are childish or immature, fix it. But if it is due to, like it's written here, differences in beliefs, never argue with your parents. It's a waste of time. You should know by now. You can never win. If you will, you'll be beaten for it. You want them in an argument, they will slap you. Monica, take Once you get to Monica, take keep quiet. It means you're about to win. <laughs> so you don't, you just, you just, you pray, you intercede for them that they should see the truth. They should come to the knowledge of truth. But they will say, Daddy, come, I want to teach you Bible. You'll pay your next school fees. Or somewhere. So you don't argue with them. When they do funny, funny things, they tell you, if you know anybody that wears the ring, it's going to have fire. You say, well done, sir. You say, thank you, sir. Don't say, ah, daddy, you don't know doctrine. <laughs> don't say that. Don't say that. Come on. My father, who was a pastor, taught some things that were not biblically accurate. For instance, my father used to teach that the lamp in Matthew 25 or so, or the oil, the extra oil, in the lamp was the Holy Spirit. It was wrong, but I never, and he thought it, it was, my father was a master of teaching and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, and he always quoted that verse. And it was a wrong conclusion. I knew the truth, but I, I never went to his daddy. Come, there's something that I want to show you here. I've been hearing you say this, but actually, I didn't do that. You know, so give them their heart. If a man says, What is respect to me is that you don't argue with me or on top Bible. Because you're not the one that everything to be born again saved. It's not your convert. Go and win souls and be teaching them if you want to teach them Bible. If them alone. If there are clashes, all these clashes can be very, very hostile. I mean, there are church members who have reported cases of their fathers going physical on them, beating them terribly because they wore trousers or they predated their hair and all of that. In all of that, maintain decorum, maintain honor, respect. Don't speak rudely or harshly to them. It's a form of the persecution of the faith. Yeah. The one you can do to do it. If they say in their house, you should not wear trousers, why are you stubborn? You will now wear bomb shorts on Monday morning. I said that a good morning. That's not how to be a mature Christian. Mature Christians make sacrifices. Even though they know that this thing is legitimate, they say, we, can, we don't have to have it. So you say I should not wear trousers. If I wear skirt, will I die? I'm not scared now. What does it take from you? So those are little, little wisdom things you have to do. If they say don't place A, anybody that plays A is going to hell. When, in school, you can place your A. When you go home, your crew, be doing a DD. I mean, what is it? Robert, what is they call this one? Mm. You know it. It's what you wonder. When you marry, you can do an on do. But in your father's house, just comply for six, seven years or whatever is left. Why is the church not friendly towards members of LGBT? 
if you don't know what I hold on, there's a policy in this session. No question is too big. No question is too small. There are some of you that have worse questions, but as you have heard, ah, now you don't want to talk again. LGBT, last one, last one. Now they say, ah. If I come they say, me, my, my love language is me and dog. Me and dog. What, what would they now say? They will pursue me. So let me, let me keep quiet. Let people be free to ask anything they want to ask. Now me call for the session. No, be you and I'm the one answering it. It's a good question. Why is the job not friendly towards members of the LGBT community despite the fact that they never choose who they are? Aren't we supposed to love our neighbors rather than forgiving them, rather than forcing them to pray the guy away? Oh, the gay away. What if after teaching them the word, the gay never leaves? Now, the LGBT issue is, is quite a, it's a serious issue. And um, I was teaching about it in February that the church doesn't really address this matter. We, we always just shout, so we don't address. We always say, ah, ah. We don't teach about it. We don't explain the concept. We don't, with patience, try to convince people. We just say, abomination, hey, war. Or in my words, what's in Yahweh? Okay, and the first thing here, once again, is that we must allow God's opinion supersede human opinion. And the church is run like that. In the church, it is God's opinion that counts, not the doctor's opinion, not the psychologist's opinion, not the sexual therapist's opinion, not the marriage counselor's opinion. What counts is God's opinion. So, what is God's opinion about the gay person? For his person, God loves the gay person. Yes. It shock you. If you listen to my teachings, you know supposed to shock you. There's nobody that God hates, and you cannot force God to hate anybody. God loves. Why were we yet sinners? Christ died. Yes. The payment for every sin, including the sin of homosexuality, has been paid. The blood of Jesus was paid for your sin. It's the same blood that was paid for any other sin that will exist. Murder bestiality, homosexuality, any other anything that is a big sin. It's the same God of Jesus has to pay for it. So that's God's. And when God sees an homosexual, God sees his creature that he wants to rescue from sin. God wants to help. And the church must always represent that. I want to help the lesbian. I want to help the gay community. Now, God's love and God's help come in certain packages. One of the packages of God's help, actually, is to brandish the law. First Timothy, this is the first time I have to read a scripture, but I think that this is very, very important. It's very important. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. 9 to 10. Let me have it on the screen. If the screen is not clear enough, you can open your Bibles. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. So the law is not made for a righteous person. But for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy, profane, murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, manslayers, fornicators, for sodomites. Look at the word sodomites. For kidnappers, liars, perjurers, if there's any other thing, contrary to sound doctrine. Put this in another version, maybe the NLT, the Passion Translation. I, I, let me go say this to you. Many of you, please, be careful when you read modern translations. Just be careful. 
you have to know what you are doing. There's a modern translation that the author actually embraces homosexuality. He does. And it was not until he died that the secretary confessed to it in his biography. So you have to be very smart to, to know what you are doing. Go to verse 10. I want to just see this in verse 10. Okay. The law is for people who are sexually immoral who practice homosexuality. We get that? So we have a verse of scripture here that seems to point to homosexuality. What do we do to the homosexual? Is that we use the law. What do we mean by we use the law? We let him... Now, the purpose of the law is to reveal the sinfulness of man. So that man will crave a savior. Man will never know the extent of his sin if we always say, I love you. I love you. The church loves you. Jesus loves you. Man doesn't know his sin like that. If someone is homosexual, does God love him? Yes. Should that be the dominant message? No. Because telling them that God loves them does not help them. God would help by the law. What would the law do? Reveal the gravity of the sin. Do you know that homosexuality in Jewish days would automatically attract being stoned to death? That was to show... The, the intention was not to stone people to death. It was to show the extent of the depravity. Do we understand what I'm saying? You must understand the purpose of the law. Every time you see the law being mentioned or spoken about, it was for a purpose. God did not have any fun in killing people. That was not God's ultimate idea. But the people will not know how bad their sins were until they see the impact of the sin. When they, know, they will now understand that the wages of sin is death. They will now cry for a savior and say, save me. So, when we say we love the homosexual, we cannot love him in a way that he will not be helped. What helps an homosexual, firstly, he must be brought under the conviction of the gravity of his sin. He must know that this is a despicable sin. Until he gets to that point, he will never resist the temptation to be homosexual. Homosexuality is a temptation just like fornication. They are in the same category. Mm, they are in similar categories. Sexual sins, not the same. Are we still together? Listen, not just for yourself. I know you are not an homosexual, but listen. Because you may have an homosexual neighbor. Somebody you preach to, who you need to explain the gospel to. You can't just tell him God loves you, God loves you. Do you know God loves you? That's not the idea. He doesn't know the gravity of his sin. So you must know that this sin is high, it's, it's an abomination before God. And that's why the law is used. When the law is used effectively, the people now become convicted. They now embrace a savior. They receive salvation. Because for homosexuality, it is either the person is not saved or the person is saved but is struggling with some serious demons. One of the most gracious teachers of God's word in this century is Andrew Mark. I was reading, his, and he was even saying this when he was still into some, some form of legalism. And I was saying that he, he, one young man came to him and said he was homosexual, he needed prayers, he knew he needed prayers. He said, please pray for me. This thing, I, I'm, I'm fighting it. I said, he just got there. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to teach something similar to what I said earlier. He just began to plead the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. And then the man went, boom, now he hits the ground. And the spirit left him. And then he popped his eye open. I said, I'm free. I'm free. It has left me. It's a demon. Controlling hormones, controlling thoughts, controlling affections. Pedophiles. 
who only enjoy sex when they have sex with children. You think that's normal? It's, you can't say that. That's not the way God made them. Papa, now. How can God make that? Isn't this why God destroyed the world in Genesis 6? He came and looked and said, Look at what I made. Everything has spoiled. There was a perversion of his creation. And then God said, What? Clear. Control, delete. Everybody. To say that God made the world, Genesis 6, is to lie against God. What he made was Genesis 1. It was all good. But between Genesis 1 and Genesis 6, there was a perversion of his creation. So, but still, it's a perversion of God's creation. It's not God. It's not, no, nobody can say, This is the way I was made. No, 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 no. It's perversion. Something was twisted. Something worked. So, when the law is used, the person craves a savior. We can now administer a dimension of love that is more receptive. I'm explaining the question or explaining the answer why the church does not welcome. Now, when you say welcome, what homosexual people want, and they are very they are bullies. Homosexuals are bullies. They want to welcome to the church and say, PJ. I brought my boyfriend to church. That's what they want. That's what they call welcome. And I'm supposed to say, hey, what's your boo's name? I'm talking to Emmanuel. What's his name? His name is Sunday. So who is the wife amongst you? I'm the wife. He's my husband. And I say, God bless you. Me, you could do that kind of thing for you. That's not what Jesus would do. This is Jesus' approach. Where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But don't worry, God loves you. That's not what Jesus said to the woman. I don't condemn you. But this one, what still when they do, we almost kill you. No, do I mean. What homosexuals call acceptance that we should accept them the way they are and not even try to change them? That's what many of them call acceptance. They want us to come and wake them, give them marriage certificates. They will take only communion. That's not like that's 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 weak. If any pastor does that, that's wicked. The pastor is wicked. And some of you are going to Jaguar to Canada. That's the country you go to. Where any you can't even talk to anybody about against the homosexuality. They will sue you for hate speech. And you can end up in jail, yeah. I wonder how Peter is there cope. That's why I know they you know they switch me to travel. Imagine me, I can't go to Canada now. I can't do Peter Bazaar because someone will arrest me. See, there's one black boy preaching against homosexuality in church. I don't, I don't want to wrap my head around it. And people are there doing ministry. Uh, hello. I will stay here. Because what will you now say? You know, so, we're running out of time. Um, these small questions that are coming. Okay, this is just from you. I'm sorry I'm taking time on this question, but some of the things that are mentioned in the, in the write-up you know, compels me to extend my teaching in it. God did not make an homosexual an homosexual. There are times I have felt like strangling somebody's neck. I have experienced demonic attack. One day I woke up, I was sick. It was that day I knew what demonic attacks is. I was sick. I just came from Yaori, from where I finished service. I entered Pastor Fisher's house. There were two ladies living in his house. Two of them were sleeping in the um, living room. And I heard the voice strongly. It was like a robotic, automated voice. Pick up a knife, go and stab them. And I began to go to the kitchen. A me, Ben. To go and pick up a knife. And then, 
the Holy Ghost. I reversed. It was like a force was compelling me. Go and pick a knife. Because when you are sick, you are more open to demonic attacks. Your mind is lazy. Your body is lazy. That's why I tell people, don't embrace sickness. You see, you are romancing sickness. Hey, 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 resist, resist. Because the things you would think about in that moment corrupt defining thoughts. That's why you don't have stupid appetites. We, so I, I, I began to fight it. I was there for almost 10 minutes. Fighting the thought of stop me. I would have stopped somebody. And I've been in jail by now. Can you Chris? Having a lifetime sentence? Yeah. And when they asked me, why did you do that? I said, I don't know. I heard a voice. How about you see people like that before? When they asked me, why did you do this? I don't know. I can't really explain. Oh, yeah. Demons. Will you not say God made them like that? God didn't make them like that. Let's not accuse God. God didn't make them like that. Everybody goes through that feeling of doing something wrong. There are times you have heard your mother speak and you're like, Tim, but if I can just slap you for once. It doesn't mean that God made you like that. It's a feeling. You resist the feeling. I say, no! I'm not, I, I, I don't do this. Why do you feel like fornicating? It's the same feeling. This is the same feeling. You say, no! I'm not a fornicator. I'm a saint. No. So the Christian who is suffering or who is going through homosexual temptations have to know this source of it. It's not God. As long as an homosexual believes that he was made like that, he will never repent. He will not be taking anything wrong with him. He will think that this is the way God made me. So we have to clear. God does not make homosexuals. He made a man in his own image. Is God an homosexual? Uh, you should think about it. God, God made a man in his image. Uh, Abba. Uh, let's, let's know. If we don't stretch it to mean that anything wrong, even, and there's this. Let me not talk too much. So, love will be to show them the depravity of their sin, sometimes by rebuking. Anybody who cannot tell again that he is living in sin, you don't love the person. I've told you this for free. If you cannot tell a gay person that you are living in sin, you don't love the person. The love must speak the truth. Love where they lie, not be love. Now love. The Bible says in First Corinthians 13, love does not rejoice in iniquity, it rejoices in truth. Love speaks the truth. Must speak the truth. So, that's why there's a seeming rejection of the church concerning homosexuality or homosexuals. It's not because we hate them. It's because they must know that this thing that you are doing is abominable in the sight of God. Sodomites. And what we use that? We use the law. The law is a dimension of God's love. When you say the law in Moses' era, you think God really hated Israel. No, he was actually loving them. It was like that they were going to crave a savior. God is always love. When he use the law, it's love. If my child, Perez does that a lot, picks my phone up and smashes it, carry on. Now, at that stage, he's a child. What he understands is the law. Spanking, to know the depravity of his sin. And I say, brilliant, break it. I won't say that. I'll give him the law. He may not even understand the explanation of breaking phone is wrong, but when he sees the spanking, he will know, oh, that's what I did. It's very bad. And that's how we have turned parents. If you know the shaker this boy has showed us. Remove everything, remove wallpaper. Every time we use the road, it's what? The last one that God is delivering you from now is to be stabbing people. If you're ugly, like ah! So when I say, eh, okay, hello, let's go and bring King. Some of his church uncles and aunties went to ID King. We buy another one. Are you born, my child? Where is the ID King from? Every time I start somebody now, so when he's when he 
It's, it's a reflex action for parents. Once he sees somebody's stick, he waves his hand. But when he remembers the law, look at this. Deliverance, <laughs> Are you listening to me? The law is love. <laughs> we show people the depression of their sin. Then they crave a savior. Ah, uh, let me not do, Juru. If you want to excuse us, you would have to excuse us because I think I'll be here till 12. Let me tell you, I don't know, some of you might find this uncomfortable to walk away. Let me let it be clear that it's not wrong because we have actually finished our time. But I want to answer every question here. So if you want to stay excellent, but if you want to walk away, don't feel bad. Don't say, how can I walk out of a pastor preaching? I won't go to heaven, no. Because no, don't feel bad. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I don't like guilt around me. I don't like, I don't like people staying and complaining. So if you stay, stay. Like, really stay. But if you want to go, it's, it's equally fine. How do, break up, how do you break up or separate from someone you know is not the will of God for you? We often advise breakaway as if it's so easy. But how do you disconnect emotionally, especially when you are best friends with the person? And share so much emotionally, especially, calm down, calm down. Especially when the person doesn't want to let go, keeps coming around. This is without any sexual intimacy. Very important addendum there. Because if sex is happening, there's a bond created already and it's going to be actually difficult. Firstly, you have to use third parties. You, can't, you don't do break up secretly. Multi break up by you, a single by you. Shit on the status. There are ways. Uh, it's not. Shit, available. Most of available, man. Anyway, don't want me. They should come and shoot you shot. When you involve another person, tell your pastor. Tell a friend too. Make it public. Then you will have shame to go back to your vomit. There will be, there will be a restraint that I've already said that I have broken up. Do we understand what I'm saying here? So that can work. There are many other things you can do, but that make it public. That's why testimonies are given. When people give their life to Christ, they say, stand up. Raise your hand. Come out. Your friends are there. Say, you say, I want to come on again. Sule, Sule, you want to come on again. Sule, come out. And you come out. You have testified publicly. So you have already set, you have set something in motion. When you now go back to your cigar or whatever addictions or habits, your friends will say, you say, you don't burn again. It's not true, you drop it. That's Shebi you say close, will now be regulating you. Shebi you say you are a Morema, a PJ. One Shebi, you will now. Anytime you go public on your faith, it creates a boundary. But if you do hide and seek Christianity, make nobody know. Make nobody know. There will be many evil things you will be doing. You won't be able to help yourself. So get somebody involved. Tell your friends, I'm broken up with this person. I'm still, you cannot really love somebody and break up will be that easy. Yeah. You, you, there will be affections. You will see the person's you know, picture. Like, oh, I miss my ex. There are many adulteries happening in marriage homes because of exes and zetes. My ex, the way he used to hold me. And I said, I saw his, his, his picture on Facebook. Hello, what's up? How have you been? I'm fine, but I'm married now. It doesn't matter. Now there, I don't think they start. <laughs> so, make it public. 
then avoid physical meetings, avoid phone conversations. An ex that is a bestie, now halau. Because even to see a spouse who had, when your bestie is your ex, how? So you have to be stubborn with the wala. Extreme stands for extreme situations. Don't pamper the situation. You will hurt yourself. You have to take it. Say, because I'm not getting again. So why are not greeting me? You don't understand. You cannot understand. Just leave me. Let me face it the way it can be faced. Usually, if you do that after three months, you, your, your healing will be fast. Your recovery will be very fast. But if you say, eh, doesn't that mean I'm not going to greet him again? Just because he's not doing me. Every time you greet him, your heart will be knitted again. So, avoid contact. If you, you are always in his status, block his number, meet his status. It's not because you hate him. You are trying to heal. When you heal, you will know. But you cannot move on. They have not moved on with their first relationship. Nobody can date them. They cannot marry again. My, he was my bestie. <sighs> so you, your life is not destroyed. That person has never married you. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is not the laughing matter. It's got to be aggressive. Take an extreme stand. I'm not going to talk to him. If he attends the same touch with me, hello, bro. Hello. Move on. Not that. What is it about you? That makes you say. Well. You now said you will not be connected. You'll be connected. <laughs> yeah, so, if the person says the person keeps coming around, some stubborn pursuers. Let me say this, brother. If a lady is no more dating you, give the person some space. That's what is reasonable to do. I just have to check up on you. Stop checking up on me. I'm not sick. And you're not the doctor. I just want to know how you are doing. I'm doing well. Check up on yourself. Let people heal from their hearts, move on from their past. I'm not sniffing them again. Sister, the Lord bless you. Can we pray together? Pray together for what? Pray your own. So, there's some stubborn pursuer brothers. I don't know why they're like that. But if you are the lady and the brother is always sniffing around you, even when you know that you are excess now, you are excess, you are. Avoid him. Stop picking his calls. When you hear a knock on your door, who is that? It's Tunji. Tunji, I'm sorry. What do you want? I just want to greet you. I'm not available for greeting. You that three times, you will get the picture. You will get the. You don't miss pick his call. He will stop calling you. So you have to avoid the person. It is hard though. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's the only. It's the, it may be the only way out. It feels really hard to forgive. How is it possible to forgive practically? Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision to treat people with mercy and not judgment. What that means is that if my wife slaps me, formality, ba, BJ. And my feeling is, I will not forgive you. How can you stop me? I will not forgive you. I should, first of all, decide, I will forgive you. At the moment that I decide, the slap, you know there are some slaps that are everlasting. Every time you remember, it's like the pain will not come there again. If that was the kind of slap, you may still feel something. Many of you have actually forgiven. You just don't know you are forgiven because you are waiting for a feeling to tell you that you are forgiven. You are forgiven. When you decide to forgive, how do I know I'm forgiven? When I decide to Give mercy to someone who deserves judgment. Forgive me. I may still hurt. I may still be in pain. But I forgive me. Doesn't mean I'm not forgiven just because I'm still hurting. The practical way to forgive is to is a choice, it's action. So I feel like saying you are a very mad person. But I will say you are a very wonderful person. I decide. I feel like slapping my own back, but I will just 
caress your face instead. I said, the Lord bless you. Jesus felt the pain when the mother said, come down now. You just spit on him, slap him. He felt the pain. But he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. It was a decision, more of a decision than a feeling. What is your... Now, please, if the person can be spoken to, some of you are dealing with issues, people don't even know they have offended you. Until conversations happen, sometimes forgiveness is not real. So, if you have to talk to the person and say, you hurt me, you offended me, you should do that too. What is your perspective about feminism? Um, it depends on how feminism is defined. <laughs> feminism, in the original sense, is just women's rights. And which is a good thing. The Bible supports that. The Bible, I mean, nobody can believe the Bible and not be a supporter of women's rights. The Bible teaches that men and women are equal. But due to the depravity of mankind and the fall of man, there was now an inequality standard where men are seen as more important than women. And women are forbidden from having certain jobs. Some churches, women cannot climb the holy altar. The altar is too holy. You cannot receive a woman. And some churches are like that. But if you understand God, understand the scriptures, understand the word, certainly, you know that you can say God is a feminist. But that's if feminism is about women's rights. If feminism is now disorderliness, me, I cannot submit to any man who that's not wrong. Including your husband? Now, dear, why did this start? Because dear will now have God's perspective. That for orderliness, although Jesus was equal to the Father, he submitted to him as a man when he was on the earth. For orderliness. I cannot submit to any man who, eh? but your boss at work is a man, and you say yes, sir, you need not to greet him. Why oh, you not say that something anymore? That one is disorderliness feminism. That one is an extreme stand of feminism. So, when feminism is now taken into the marriage context of in this marriage, we are equal. You cannot be telling me what to do. I cannot obey you. That one is disorderliness feminism. But for women's rights, women have the rights to their jobs, to their to whatever, to ministry. Uh, the, the Bible is no, no, no faith. You can check out Islam now and see how they choose women there. No faith supports women like, like, like Christianity. No faith. Are we clear on that? Is there a problem? From Philippians 1, Apostle Paul talked about some people that preach Christ from selfish ambition and others that preach out of love. His motive is a factor in preaching the gospel. If one preaches Christ with a selfish motive, like it was mentioned in this part of scriptures, does it still count? It counts as long as it is the gospel that is preached. Even if it's preached from the wrong motive, make sure the content is the gospel. That's fine. However, the impact may be not as. So, what was I saying? As long as the context is content of the gospel is accurate. So, if I know the gospel, what is the gospel? Jesus died for man's sins. And the price of sin has been paid. Man just needs to receive forgiveness that is already offered by God. If I know the gospel, and I say this is a good way to make money, and I am preaching it, if I'm preaching the gospel, it counts. But the impact will not be effective. And, yeah, in terms of things like judgment, reward, when God is rewarding his workers, motive is one of the things that will score highly. You know, so, so in that 
um, chapter, Philippians chapter 1, and verse 16 to 18. Paul said, I'm fine as long as the gospel is being preached, whether out of envy or out of, you know, any other means. As long as the gospel is being preached, I'm fine with it. Alright, let's go on to the next question. You have to very fast. Please, I would like to implore you to listen very closely if you are listening because I'm going very, 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 very fast. I'm already biting my tongue. How do you explain to a believer who believes that there's nothing wrong in listening to secular songs, especially the ones with very bad lyrics? I was going to say, what exactly is secular song? Sweet mother, I know give against you. That's a song like that, right? Is that song a secular song? Just let me remove this one sound. So it depends on what you define by secular songs. How I define secular song is a song by an unbeliever. One, that's the first thing. So if an unbeliever sings, Jesus is Lord over my life. I know we hear I know because of the song. Now unbeliever sing that. You don't know who you know Jesus. You are telling me Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Jesus has not submitted to you, you are singing about him. You understand that now? There was a day they were singing uh, in church. Uh, I don't get a lot to God win. People did concert and brought what's that guy's name? Kore Dobelu <laughs> in Lagos. Evil one was used. This God that is there are different gods. There's God of stomach, there's God of bank alert. So when he says God win, do you know the God is talking about? So when um, secular songs contain when songs are from unbelievers, no. When it also contains concepts or teachings that are against the Bible, and yes, songs are for teachings. Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of God dwell richly in you, singing to yourselves and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, teaching, teaching. So teaching songs are related. Songs teach. When somebody teaches sex, violence, disrespect, when I keep reading news about Brother Zazu, such that even secular organizations want to ban him from receiving awards because he's so violent in his speech, I wonder how can a Christian be dancing to Zazu? Is it Zazu or Zuzu? Zazu. That one that dies air like this. You are as if you don't know him. No problem. <laughs> On the last day, all things shall be reviewed. This man, I mean, he's such a thug that even circular, they want to give an award. They had to report the police case because he said he was going to kill anybody that has collected his award. And you have that kind of person in your phone. You do birthday party, you are playing it. Shame no catch you. Yes, sir. Any song by whoever promotes violence, promotes sexual immorality, promotes disrespect, promotes ungodliness, it's wrong. What do I have to say to that Christian? I will tell you any song you cannot listen to in the presence of Jesus, don't listen to it now. Any song you cannot listen to in heaven, don't listen to it now. Simple, simple code of conduct approach. Because we say Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. I know Jesus is with me. And you are playing some song that you know that you cannot, if Jesus was to appear physically, you can't play it. And I said Jesus is with you. It's demons that are with you. I say Jesus is with you. I'm not like Jesus is not with you now. Just with you, they act like justice with you. What kind of songs will you play if Jesus took you out on a date? What kind of song will you play? When I get that feeling, I need sexual healing. Now, that one you go play. I mean, you tell Jesus that some of you will carry out of especially sisters. Adam, this song, be played it to the night. Romance songs. You must say, I don't know why my body is doing me somehow. You don't know. You should know now. How about you? I go say you don't know. 
How do I know confirm the exact purpose of God for my life? Stay with basic Christian practices. Prayer. Read your Bible. Come to church. Serve God. That's all. That is, it's not, there's, no, there's no mystery about purpose. You don't discover purpose in idleness. You don't discover purpose when you are not doing Christianity. So just live as a Christian. You, should, you will see it on the journey of life. Purpose is a, is a tag in the journey of the Christian life. As you maintain the race of you just see it one day and say, oh, this is one. Okay. It's, it's not like there's no formula. You can read books, you can listen to the messages, but those things hardly work. They tell you that, do what you like. If what you like is eating Abula, it's supposed to be eating Abula. That's right, like, do what you like. <laughs> those things are just stories. Just stay between Christianity. Read your Bible, pray, come to church, join the department, serve God. You will see it on the journey. Is it wrong for a Christian couple culture to address themselves with pet names? Example of pet names now. Huh? The person in right. If I know the example, I can. If the names are pure, and their names you can see publicly. I call my wife D girl, and we, I used to call her that when I, she was um, my fiance. I can call her that in the presence of her father. And so, if you can say it publicly, but when you say that, just just pet names. I'm thinking that there's some kinds of pet names that uh, that we really do. But nothing vulgar, nothing sexual, with nothing with any sexual undertone. An engine that is not pure in the sense of the sacredness of marriage. <laughs> but my love, my uh, Victoria, you would think she's the husband of Perez. I mean, she's the wife of Perez. My lovey, my honey, my shuki. Every time I see her, I they pity her boyfriend. The only God knows you could call your boyfriend. Now, there is nothing to harass like this with this kind of thing. You <coughs> oh, go hear different things. So, if the pet name is pure, and why there's nothing wrong with that? And that, when I say pure, it includes honey, lovey, sweetie, babe, what other one do we have? Stop calling your boyfriend fish head. See, that's, that's so rash and local and stupid. I don't know where people learn these things from. Is fish head. <laughs> if it's a fish head, then what? You're a fish. When he marries you, it's your head. You're a fish. Do you meet in waters? Are you a witch? What fraternity do you belong to? The Bible does not encourage evil speaking like that. All those, and we just say, he's just joking. Go and joke with Jesus like that. Jesus, I love you so much. You're my fish head. The angel will go rose you slap. <laughs> some pay, some say it is wrong for church musicians like instrumentalists and vocalists to receive pay from the church since it's a service to God. While others quote First Corinthians nine thirteen, uh, that competes on the screen. First Corinthians nine thirteen. Is it wrong, right, or wrong for workers to receive salary from the church? Once you pay one, you must pay all. That's the policy. Now, the only one that the Bible and First Corinthians nine thirteen says, is on the screen. Ah. Prayer has gone on break. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Just read it for me, First Corinthians nine thirteen. Don't worry, talk to me. Those who minister in the altar live off. That is, they live by the proceeds from the altar. 
So the context is a preaching and teaching context too. It does not mean that anybody that cleans this place now to rag deserves to be collecting offering. Say, Pastor, my she and call. Say, be I live by the altar. That's not what he's talking about. Someone said, the keyboard is close to the altar. The, <laughs> the context, Paul was talking about himself. I'm an apostle. I deserve material things because I minister to you spiritual things. I labor on you in the world. You should also labor with your substance. That's the context of first context. Begin from verse 1. You see, it's Paul was talking about himself. And Paul was not a musician. He was a preacher. So the altar here is what is, he was quoting from the law actually. He was talking about the priests, the Levites. So he's not talking about people that say, carry speaker on the altar now. They should also be saying, Pastor, share me that. Because if we pay one, we must pay all. There must be equality, justice in the house of God. I don't believe in paying instrumentalists. Now, that's also not necessarily a strict stand. What that means is that when I am rich, if the way my omiku, did I pronounce it well now? My yomiku, my yomiku. I'm not Somebody said, ah, yeah. If he plays and I say, ah, I didn't like your, your fingers, man. I didn't feel Send me your account number and I wire your account. It's not a sin. I'm not doing anything wrong. I've just appreciated him. If I say, this man probably can do with some little benefits. Now, if he's also saying that he's taking this job as a full-time job, that was just a different case. He said, Pastor, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not doing medical school again. This is man is a medical doctor. And I says, PJ, well, if you tell me to that, I won't, won't agree. I was going to finish school first. But let's even assume you think about that. An angel appeared to you and said, God said I should come to Rema and be playing keyboard. What is right is that at that point, at that point, he's actually, he's actually somebody who ministers in the altar. Yeah. That's the dimension of that mission to the altar. He has taken as a full-time job. His, his, his consecration is not the average consecration. He should be paid for that. That's his work. Now that has become his profession. But he must be able to play it well. If he takes that profession, if he that can go back to medical school. Can't finish medical school. <laughs> Do we get that now? Uh, so. If there are no, oh, sorry. Is there anything about men today that makes them less likely to be serious Christians or take devotion and dedication as a priority? And so, sisters tend to settle for half-baked Christian brothers. Yes, it is pressure, financial pressure, societal pressure. Being a man now is about your bank account, the kind of cars you drive, that kind of phone you use. That's manliness in modern society has been redefined. Manliness in those days actually used to be about are you healthy? Can you fight? I taught you the evolution of marital love. You get Muslim. If war happened now, you go feed defend your family. Now, money is now the defense. And so because of that, many men chase money at the expense of their spiritual life. If I can just have money, I just go to church and pick a fine girl and marry them. That's the mentality. So no training, no nurturing. You cannot even do morning devotion at home. Pray over your family. Uh, bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You cannot, cannot pray. A man. But he has money. So many sisters say, I will change him when I marry. He can happen, actually. But I risk. It's not, it's not a smart thing to do. So that's one of the reasons why many people settle for outbreak men. Why is it that even when you exercise faith in a particular direction and pray about it, 
there are no answers or changes even after years of prayer. If the will of God is not found, faith does not work. Be sure it is the will of God. Two, use the method of God. Even in prayer, there are methods. If a demon is arousing me and I'm saying, God, help me, the demon will stay with me forever. There are methods in prayers. If something is satanic, I don't address God. I go to Satan and say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Methods. If somebody is sick, there are methods, for instance, to receive healing. In James 5, he says, let him call for the elders, let them anoint him with oil. If somebody says, I want to use my own method, he may get healing, but he may not get healing true. Because there are various methods. When Jesus spoke to the storm, he could have cried, Father, save me. But there were times where Jesus cried to the Father. I said, if possible, let this cup pass over me. So methods, even in prayer, know the method that works. Don't do wuru wuru. That's why you have to be crying in the world. And uh, some of these matters, it is never going to be answered because prayer is not superior to God's will. You can pray from now to next year, and the rapture should happen tomorrow. It won't happen. The will of God. That's why prayer is about establishing God's will. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, as it is in heaven. That's that's actually a summary of prayer. So find out what God's will is and then begin to pray it into existence. How can I preach to people of other religion that have been disrespectful for their faith? First, know about their faith. Know what they believe. If you want to preach to a Muslim, there's something a Muslim believes. There's something a Buddhist believes. That will help you to start the conversation. Jesus knew the beliefs of the Samaritans. So when that Samaritan woman came and was saying something, Jesus was familiar. And Jesus was able to navigate the conversation to help her. Know their faith. Some of you will have to read books Christian books about the Quran. Yeah. So preach to your fathers and to your big brothers who are probably Muslims. Then you see the fault in their belief and say, ah, they taught you like this, but this is actually what it is, and I have a, I have a proof. So being disrespectful is a decision. Don't speak rudely, don't abuse, don't insult. Just preach the gospel. For every religion, it's simple. Everybody agrees that sin is universal. Everybody agrees to that. Sin is a universal problem. Everybody also agrees that nobody is perfect. Everybody has sinned. Everybody also agrees that God is holy. Jesus is simply the bridge between a holy God and a sinful people. How? He paid for the sins of men. Somebody says, how can sin be paid for? The only way sin can be paid for is through death. Most religions believe in sacrifice. They offer things too. So, the sacrifice that paid for sin is death. That's the gospel. Jesus has to die for the sin of man. That's how we can do it. Next question about Minister Osinachi. I am convinced she would have prayed about her husband. Why didn't God save her? Or make her husband change? This is what we are saying. Something is supposed to go on. You are praying. The Bible says fear fornication. Did he say pray about fornication? There are some evils you will run. You don't pray. Use the method of God. Don't pray. I said God did not answer me. He said lie. He didn't use God's method. They are punching you. You are praying. How can you be praying? Let's not try to blame God as make it look like it's God's fault. No. People don't know God. That's why they do many funny things and say, God did not help me. God's method is that I, I hate divorce. And what it means is that I hate women's rights being violated. The word I hate divorce in the in the real sense, what it actually means is that I hate it when a woman's rights is violated, actually. In Malachi chapter 2, where that statement is made, God was reproving men. Why are you divorcing your wives? 
Don't you know when you divorce her, she's alone, she's broken, she has to start affairs. God's concern was about women being maltreated. That was God's concern was not really divorce. But people don't know, they just say, eh, I'll be praying. God doesn't want me to leave my husband. There are too many retreats. People keep blaming God for everything. So, God expects you to protect yourself. And if you marry a man who is a boxer, let him be fighting with the shadow or fight with another man. You go to your father's house. When you meet in heaven, you will be reconciled. How is it possible that there are family generational causes despite salvation? Because, firstly, there is lack of consecration. Listen, anytime we sin, what the Bible says is that we give room to the devil. If you inherit your father's idols and claim to be a Christian, you will experience your father's generational curse. Let me explain. You know, most of us only believe in Jesus the Savior. We don't believe in Jesus the Lord. He has saved me from hell. I'm not going to hell. He tells you, this is what you should do. Live right. Live in purity. He says, no, I'm saved. My spirit is saved. I'm going to heaven. You go, yeah, when? Romans 6 says, whoever you yield yourself to obey, you make that person Lord over your life. If you yield yourself to sin, you make death and Satan Lord over your life. There is that generational cause. When I was... Whenever I introduce myself as I'm from Kaba, people look at me and say, Hey, Kaba people. There is a seeming reputation about those people. But I firstly, I identify as a Christian first. My consecration is not towards Kaba. So I can't speak the language. I don't know the language. If you come up with me and say, I'm from Kaba like you, I'll say, Are you born again? I know my brother because you come from Kaba. That man is dead. He's a man in the flesh. He's dead. I'm born again. Are you a believer? Are you speaking tongues? Then if you are, if you are, I'll say you are my brother. Pardon me, you're my brother. But say, Okun, I'll say, what? Who are you? There are people who bear my son names in your school. I'll take. I don't know them. I don't. I don't say my name is a lot of my age like you or what? But I can meet a stranger who I see is a Christian. I say, ah, my brother, how are you doing? You went on evangelism. Hold on, I can do that. But you now you say my name is a lot of my age. Lord of my age. I don't care. Are you listening to me? Consecration is what determines all these things. If you want to stay identified with Adam, even after being in Christ, in our family, this is the way we used to do it. Okay. You experience your family experience. This is where my father treated his wife. You, you will experience the same marriage. So consecration is what determines all these things. If you are saved and you still yield your members, yield your mind to the education of idol worship, to the ideology of tradition of men, ah, you will have the experience. That's how it happens. That's how generational causes continue. I saw this expert from a sermon. Faith is the only currency needed to receive miracles from God. Is this true? Kinda. It's kind of, yes, it's true. How do you know that you have faith? But how do you know you have enough faith? That's the question. Let's not put emphasis on the size of faith. Jesus said if you have faith as the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, they move. Now, Faith is expressed in various dimensions. If somebody says, I have faith in Jesus, but I'm in love with my sin, I don't want to stop sinning. There's no faith in Jesus. That's not faith. 
Faith, for instance, is expressed in repentance. The Rehab, Rehab was a halotu. When they came to meet her, that uh, this is the deal. You will be in your house by this time of the night. Your family, your uncle, everybody that wants to be saved has to live in this room if they want to be saved. Rehab didn't say, uh uh-uh, only this small room. Everybody will not stay there. Me, I cannot stay there. Okay. She can say, I believe, but she will die with Jericho. So, faith is always proven by works. One of the works is repentance. When she went to Israel, because she followed them to Israel, she did not continue prostitution. There are no allots in Israel. She had to not begin to conform to the culture of their land. That's faith. Do you understand? So, I have faith, I have faith. Where is your works to prove? Many times, what people call faith is just wishful thinking. There's no, there's no evidence, there's no substance to their faith. You know, so, you know, you have faith when you are walking in the will of God towards a particular thing. If I have faith for financial prosperity and I'm not working, I'm not meeting any needs because that's the fundamental way God blesses. He blesses the work of our hands. When we meet people's needs, God now blesses us. Three ways. Inheritance, gifts, and service provision is how money comes. Or theft. That's the fourth way. (laughs) So if I'm doing the legitimate ones, service provision or relationship that brings gifts, that's the will of God. I mean, I have it. I have it as long as I wake up in the morning and I say, I have it. I'll be rich. I'll be worthy. But I'm lazy. I'm not doing anything. That's not fit. That's just, that's a game. What does, what doesn't, why doesn't healing happen? I know the Bible says a lot about healing. It shows God's desire for us to be healthy. But it's often people pray and pray for nothing happens. It's eventually we end up giving ourselves reason why it didn't happen. What's yet when it's prayers for a dead person to come back? If you are praying for somebody else's healing, the first obstacle is the person's will. Healing cannot be forced. It's a gift received willfully. And yes, wills are very um, tied to people's belief system. So if I'm praying, one of the reasons I teach about healing before I minister healing is because what you believe about healing will determine whether you receive healing. If you believe that, if you are praying for somebody who believes that healing is God's will or sickness is God's will, you can pray the person may never be healed. So you have to teach them it's not God's will for you to be sick. I was talking to one of my sisters and I asked her why she has never trusted God for healing in a particular dimension. She said that she just felt that since she was not totally blind, that she could manage the situation. And for her, she felt, at least I'm not totally blind. One is just a high defect. So I can manage it now. That's our belief. So I had to re-educate her that, ah, if your father is down, would you be using Nukata's at the telephone? She said, was it hand? So if God can make you absolutely healed, why do you settle for, at least I'm just managing to see? That was what now changed her mind. <laughs> you know, so people's mind have to be taught to receive healing, really. There are other issues like unforgiveness, working in hatred. All of these are also expressions of unbelief. Because one of the things that faith does is that faith works with love. When somebody is bitter, living in unforgiveness, angry with somebody, his healing can be hindered. And that can happen. The third thing can be a lack of sufficient anointing. There are healings that happen by the anointing. There are yokes that are broken by the anointing. And if the anointing is not sufficient, there are things that happen by faith, there are things that happen by the anointing. 
if the anointing is not sufficient or is rejected, for instance, Jesus' anointing was rejected. How? The anointed one, which is, is tied to Christos, was not embraced in his hometown. When he went to his village, they said, No, be you, son of carpenter. They rejected his anointing. Although he had the anointing to heal them, they rejected it. They despised him and said he was just a little boy who was doing some carpenter work. And so his anointing could not work for them. Those are the various reasons why people are not healed. But it is always God's will to heal. How is sex an exchange of spirit? I never said this. I don't know who said this, but it's a dicey statement. Is sex an exchange of spirit? Really? Um, marital sex is a bonding of the flesh. Not even a marriage does sex bind spirit. But um, illegitimate sex opens your life up because it is a sin. Any sin opens your life up to the influence of Satan. Satan is a spirit. Demons are spirits. So that's where sex and spirits are connected. It's a physical act, but it can open up your life to spiritual activity. Just like prayer. If somebody sees you praying, it's physical. Either speak it in unknown tongues, speak it not unto men. You open your mouth and pray in tongues. It's a physical act in a sense. But actually, the Bible says in the spirits, it's speak mysteries. So physical things can actually open you up to spiritual influences. And sex is one of them. Every sin opens you up to the influence of demons and Satan. Every sin. How do you maintain relationships, friendship with someone who identifies as homosexual while also letting them know you don't agree with it without being judgmental or discriminating? I have answered this already. By the way, you really should not be identifying closely with anybody who identifies as homosexual. Your closeness to them softens their stance on the depravity of their sins. The Bible says we should not even eat with them, greet them. First Corinthians 5. We should not even eat with them. So, to look for how to do something wrong is even wrong in this place. You are not supposed to do it. Don't look for how to do it. How do you explain to someone that believes wearing trousers is a sin? The person claims that every form of trousers shows an anatomical shape of a woman, so it is better not to wear it. And if you do, you are committing adultery. Packing it up with Matthew 5.27 that says anyone who allows another man to lust is automatically an adulterer too. So trousers should only be worn by one as undergarments because that is why it was originally made. Firstly, the statement is not just written to men. If a, a woman's anatomical shape is revealed in trousers, a man's anatomical shape too is revealed in trousers. Let's not make it look like men don't have sexual purity laws too. It happened in the Bible. A woman was caught in adultery. They brought only the woman to Jesus. Where is the man? But trousers issue, eh? the way to explain it first is that God was the first fashion designer. Everybody said God is the first fashion designer. And he never made trousers for men or skirts for women. In Genesis chapter 3, when man fell and they saw that they were naked, God, the Bible says God clothed them. It was most likely a rapper. Everybody say rapper. Just, just to cover the nakedness. God didn't begin to make trousers. Oh, yeah, man, enter this thing. Woman, enter. No, that's not what God did. In Jewish history, we also see that the priests wore gowns. The priests who were men wore gowns. The women also likely wore gowns. But we see that 
nakedness must be covered. I agree. Some trousers are too revealing, even though they are they, are, they cover, they still reveal. I agree. Um, some people wear many of those clothes either because they are ignorant of the effects of it, but to say that women are supposed to wear trousers is a very rash conclusion. It's not a smart thing to say. And to say that wearing trousers is adultery or make somebody commit adultery is also not very fair. I'll just say there's modesty in dressing, there's decency in dressing. We have taught you this. If you are a member of this church, we have taught you that. We have taught you what modest dressing is. Whether you are wearing a skirt or a trouser, we have taught you that. In fact, if you are a member of the Women Fellowship or Sisters Fellowship, I've particularly given, in fact, I've given you images and pictures to show you what is modest and what is not modest. So that has been covered. But there's a message about that. You can pick up my message in that direction. But for the answer, God did not make trousers for men and skirts for women. In Scotland, the men wear skirts. So some of these issues are cultural issues. They're not God issues. And even if it's God, Jewish history showed that women and men wore gowns. But yes, there's modesty in dressing. And there are, some, there are certain trousers you may wear that may be actually immodest, as it were. Oh boy. We are almost there. We have two more. Or three more, I think. What is your stance on legalizing abortion? Seeing that this unsafe abortion is one of the major causes of maternal death in Nigeria. Simple guideline. Do unto others what you want to be done unto you. Would you want to be aborted? If you, see, no, it's a very simple thing. Except you don't believe that the fortress is alive. And they taught you that life starts at... Is it fortress or fetus? Or what's, what's it called? Give me the Oribo call in a way. I like you. For fetus. 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 Okay, fetus. If you, they taught you, science will tell you that life begins at conception. That's, that's common sense. Life begins at conception. Do unto others. Others include that life that has begun. What you want to do to them. There are, now, the person spoke about maternal death. That is, women tend to give birth. And they die and all of that. That happens. And I know that there are ethical guidelines for doctors in that direction. Particularly if there's a situation where you have to save either the mother or the baby and all of that. I know that. I think there are laws that guide that. I'm not too sure about it. But on something like, okay, let us abort the child. Because I, I may die when I will give it. Let's wait, 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 wait for the delivery time before you come for whether you will die or not. Wait for the delivery time. Go and give birth to a child. People, the issue is not abortion. The issue is fornication. Most times. All the campaigns against abortion in America is because people want to fornicate recklessly. It's not like they hate children. It's that they love their fornication. And they want to do it without any constraint or restraint. Interestingly, there are other, um, there are other options of, of, of family planning. And all, but they, they just insist that they want to be killing children. Blood-sucking demons. Yeah. Please. How do you convince an atheist about God when they bring up a serpent talking and deceiving a woman to eat a fruit as being illogical? It is also illogical if you tell me that I have a brain. I can't see it. I have never seen it. I will never see it. There is a sense of illogicality in everything. So to say that what is it? How many people read Bible stories and say, ah, ah, how can all of Jericho fall down flat? How can the Red Sea be divided? It's not possible. I like what one woman said. One woman said, a scientist said to her, the 
the belly of a whale does not have the capacity to house a woman being for three days. He said, it's true. He said, but you know, I have come to a point where if the Bible says that it was Jonah that ate the whale, I will believe it. The first truth is God's word. In the beginning was the word. That is adapting science, technology. It was not in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. You have to train yourself like that. But for the atheist, explain to him. There are many ways you can explain Genesis 3. I was reading Andrew Marx's um, version of Genesis 3. Very interesting. I'm still analyzing. I'm still confirming. I'm reading from several authors to confirm what could have happened. But point is that serpent was a tool of Satan. Satan always used a medium. Spirits don't have the legal ground to exist on earth. They must work with a body. The earth was designed to host bodies. That's why the body of man is sand or is earth. You have heard that statement in burial ceremonies. Um, what did they say? Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. The body and the ground, they are compatible. So any spirit that wants to walk on the earth must walk with a body. Satan employed the body of a serpent. Simple explanation. He, as a spirit, Satan has no right to walk, to talk, to do anything on the earth. He had, he had to employ a serpent. And then it now colonized the serpent and began to speak through the serpent. Simple explanation. Now for someone who is an atheist, he may not understand spiritual things because when he tells and it is a spirit does not have a legal ground to operate on the earth. So what is a spirit? You get so you have to face it. Satan is a spirit. Um, I, I, fundamentally, is a spirit. He does physical things, but he's fundamentally a spirit. Demons are spirits. That's why they like possessing human beings because they cannot really work without body, human body. They will, they will not. They cannot do what they, are, what they want to do. Ah, glory to God. For those of you who waited, what is Christian apologetics? Should we listen to them? Is the word apologetics is defense, and an apologist. Okay, this person wrote apologetics. Yeah, but an apologist is somebody who defends. It's not a Christian term. When we study church history, we explain to you how did they happen? How did they come about? The church was only preaching to the poor, poor people. And the church needed to save educated people. So people began to write letters. They were called in defense of the faith letters. Similar to the one Martin Luther wrote when he received the inspiration of justification by faith. And pasted it on the door of the Catholic church. So letters. They wrote letters in public places. Somebody writes a letter and plants a turkey and about a big letter there. So somebody who has go there, somebody who can read will go there and read it. That's how apologetics became a, a dimension of Christian communication. So apologetics is defense. A Christian apologist is a Christian defender. He defends using logical arguments and explanations. That's who a Christian apologist is. Should we listen to them? Yes! I will say this in fact, hopefully, I will teach the basics of apologetics. So that because there are so many atheists, so many ungodly people who need logical explanations. So they would, you see, an apologetic will explain to you the concept of the creation. Very logical, some of them scientific even. 
Ravi Zachariah, before his death, used to be one. And he was a very powerful apologist, you know, arguing with, he had debates. Instead of just preaching, they would go and have debates, public debates. You can watch some of them on YouTube. Very interesting conversations. You know, they really bring a mental side to it, the Christian faith. How young is too young to be in a relationship? As long as you are irresponsible and not ready to be accountable. I told you Mary was 14. So, once you are still irresponsible, they still have to tell you what to do. They have to tell you to brush your teeth. They have to tell you to, this now to dress. You don't, you don't go out like this. You are still too young. Hmm? Marriage is for adults. But there's some, we grow in different pace. Sure, you understand. We grow at a different pace. So take your time. If you are young, it's not a sin. Just make sure you are growing. Please explain the concept of Trinity, sir. Trinity is God, one God in three persons. Science explains it more than the Bible. Matter can exist in how many states? What are the states? Give me one example of matter that exists in these states. Water that is vapor, you see water? Water that is block, you see water? Water that is water, you see water? So Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is God. You see, from nature we are taught this. I think except hydrogen, every other element also contains, you see proton, neutrons and electron? Nature teaches all of this. Science teaches it. The Trinity is not just a divine concept. Man is also Trinity. Body, soul, spirit. So, but in terms of God, now we have God, Father, Father, God. The Father is God. We have the Son is God. We have the Holy Spirit is God. My soul is Judah. If you touch Judah's soul, whose soul have you touched? If you touch Judah's spirit, whose spirit have you touched? If you touch Judah's body, whose body have you touched? You see, Judah, 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 but spiritual body. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The soul is not the spirit. The body is not the soul. But it is still Judah's soul. Judah's spirit. Judah's body. Do you understand that? Water is not vapor. Vapor is not ice block. But ice block is water. Sorry, I say water is not vapor. Vapor is not ice block, rather. And um, liquid water is not vapor. Ice. Yeah. All that. So, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is because it helps you to understand redemption. Only God can live perfect. You needed a perfect sacrifice to pay for your sin. God had to become flesh, become a man in Jesus. So, he was conceived not by sperms and eggs, but by the power of the Spirit. He came and was born, grew up like a man, but he was God. When Jesus was on the earth, it confirmed the Trinity. How do we know? He prayed to God to send the Holy Ghost. That means those two beings exist as unique individuals, yet as God. Do we get that? He prayed to God to send the Holy Ghost. When he ascended, the Holy Ghost came. Still God. So that's the, But there are many natural patterns that affirm the truth of the Trinity.
This one, I'm sorry I cannot answer it. I will teach about it in my last teaching in the month of June. Women in ministry. The question is, explain the concept of women not allowed to talk in church. I will teach that last teaching in the month of June. Sir, is eating salam meat, right? As it is a food of idols because it is prayed to before killing. Who is the former Muslim here? Former Muslim? Okay. No former Muslim. Okay, I was just going to confirm from them some of these things that happen. I will say that it is not a sin. It is, however, not appropriate, especially publicly. What Paul teaches in First Corinthians 8 is that food offered to idols should not be eaten because of the conscience of former idol worshippers. So if you have a Muslim friend, you have never shared the gospel with him. The Muslim friend believes that you and him are serving the same God. You now make salah meat. You now say, where my own meat? Where my own meat? You now say that it's. You are going to find it very difficult to convince that man that you are not serving the same God. Because if you can eat of his meat, why are you now saying that he's going to go to hell? Ah. So, for public conscience, eating the meat itself is not sinful. Paul says, all things are clean to the unclean. I mean to the clean. So the pure, all things are pure. That's what he says it. And every food is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. However, for public conscience, there's some things you don't do. Somebody who knows that, who is for instance an ex-Muslim, a Muslim convert, who knows that when I used to be a Muslim, when I came around, there are some incantations I say, that's the kind of prayers I pray to Allah. You now, he now sees you eating meat, and he has to that you say, Isala. He knows that when I used to be a Muslim, this has to do with this meat. So he sees you eating it. He's like, Are you okay? Do you know what goes on in this place? So, for that, so if you are going to eat, let me say this if you are going to eat salami, hide and eat it. But you cannot hide. You know why? You will collect it from somebody who is a Muslim. And then, why should you even do anything right and hide? If you are hiding to do it, it already shows that. Eh? You can greet Baraka the Salah in a casual tone. Yeah, it should not be a strong tone. I always tell people here if you claim that Muslims will go to hell, and you only rejoice with them, celebrate with them when they're doing party. You never share the gospel with them. They cannot believe you, honestly. They can't believe you. So, it's not a sin in itself. It cannot, but it is inappropriate, especially when it is public. Do we get that? I want to thank you for your patience and time. We are done with the questions. I'm sorry I could not even answer.